Hey, what's up, podcast? It's Drew back again with another episode of Unscripted. Today, we're talking with Conrad Stodgel. Uh, Conrad is a Marine veteran and uh, kind of my partner in crime out uh, in uh, KXCR Racing. So he's an Africa Twin owner. So him and I talk a little bit about uh, how he got into motorcycles, uh, racing big motorcycles, racing his Africa Twin at Grand National Cross Country, racing at KXCR. Uh, we talk about kind of tips and whatnot for racing for beginners or, and, you know, adventure bike racing for beginners, stuff he did to his bike, um, how to deal with injuries and, you know, keep your head in the game when you miss out on racing and a little bit of commentary about the Trans Alp and all kinds of stuff in between. So grab your beverage of choice and uh, turn it up in the car or wherever you're listening and hope you enjoy the show. I want to take a moment and talk with you about today's sponsor, Vicarious Magazine. Vicarious is an automobile and motorcycle publication that targets adventure seekers throughout North America and select global markets with experiential travel stories, reviews, and insightful interviews from industry experts. For folks that follow my blogging exploits, I've published a couple stories in Vicarious. I also want to point out that this isn't some motorcycle tabloid. This magazine is published on high-quality paper stock and loaded with full, high-resolution photos. Without experiencing the magazine for yourself, the best way I can describe it is if we smash National Geographic into like something like Car and Driver. It's gorgeous photos and stories about your favorite machines with picturesque views and places that you want to be. If you're not interested in hard copy, no problem. Vicarious is also available in digital format. Please go check out Vicarious in the link in the description. Now back to the show. We are live with my buddy Conrad. What is going on, sir? Oh, living the dream. Back on two legs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we uh, <laughs> we definitely have to visit that because uh, a few people asked me about how it was going on and uh, you know who who I've been racing with and all that stuff. So do me a favor. Where he, where he went? Uh, <laughs> well, a little <laughs> bit of that, right? Um, do me a favor and give me uh, the quick elevator speech. Who is Conrad? Tell us, tell us a, a quick thing about yourself, and then we'll we'll go through some rewind. All right. So Conrad, Conrad's a guy that has done all of his off-road riding and all of his off-road racing on an Africa Twin. There's no <laughs> dirt bikes in the story. There's no smaller vehicles. Always been on the 500 pound plus machine. Uh, my first race was actually a GNCC. So you want to talk about in over your head? <laughs> that's that's in over your head. So that that's me. That's that's funny because I think you and I talked about that, but I don't think I put all that stuff together before. So that makes this uh, this chit chat even better. Yeah. So take me backwards in time in motorcycles. Like, tell me about like how you got into bikes. You know, was the Africa Twin the beginning of all this mess or what? How'd that work out? No, actually, a 1982 Goldwing was the beginning of all of it. Okay. So, um, grew up with motorcycles. My family always had some Japanese bikes. Growing up in Iowa, we never did anything off-road. or always street bikes, and we always rode them on the street. And when it came time for me to go to tech school, college, whatever, I ended up just we, – we left that. I went to tech school, got through tech school. During that time, my family had actually gotten into some financial hardships and sold everything. They sold all their bikes. So – and my dad had actually crashed his bike. Um, and I had an opportunity to pick up this – Two hundred dollar nineteen eighty two Honda Goldwing, and I was going to fix it up for him and give it to him for like as a gift, mm -hmm. you know, get him back into motorcycling. And it was a good project for me because I was still tinkering in the garage. 
and uh, went and visited him one time, and he already replaced his Goldwing with another Goldwing. So there I was with a Goldwing, never intending to get a Goldwing for a first bike, <laughs> but I had to do something with it. So then I just started Googling some like custom gold wings whatever and yeah. there's some bobbers and chopper or not choppers but bobbers and scrambler styles fell in love with it made my own iteration of it and uh that's how i got back into motorcycling is when i was like 20 24 well you say started riding again yeah okay so i would say you say back into i was curious what uh what some of the kid motorcycle stuff was there were 250s i think one was uh one was the i was so little i was probably 12 we were riding around the yard mostly yeah and yeah, about the time that I would have gotten my permit and gotten a ride, we had everybody had sold everything. So yeah, that's. But the the seeds were planted; they were there. That's it. The, um, the fever was already was already in there. Yep. And so from the Goldwing, I was just doing street riding, and I kept seeing on like social media and all just just out and about. I'd see what would be considered an adventure bike, but I didn't know it was an adventure bike. It was just that travel bike that does everything. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea. It grabbed my attention more than street bikes did or, or, you know, sport bikes and cruisers and all that. And once I realized what it was, that's the direction I wanted to go. So my next bike, because I, I wrecked the Goldwing, <laughs> uh, actually, so started a new job, went back to Iowa to visit family for a week before the start of the job. Mm. And I was coming back from Iowa into Ohio and I was on, I was just outside Dayton on 70 Yeah, and it's that uh, split six lane divided six lane yeah. i was in the middle lane and a tire recap got hit into my lane oh. and i hit that managed to stay on the bike i don't know how yeah but uh that recap cracked the radiator and i still had 190 miles to get home yep. and every 20 miles or so i was putting water in it putting water in it, <laughs> putting water in it <laughs> that's and, crazy uh, dude <laughs> yeah it was a long trip <laughs> and there's like tornado warnings everywhere it was it was it was, a, it was a day it was a day because i'm like going up to gas stations like sneaking around the back to use their spigot they probably didn't care yeah but i wasn't trying to find out <laughs> so i get home and it was starting to blow uh some some blue smoke by the time i got home yeah i had started to seize the pistons i was overheating it consistently but it did get me home so that was a big win on that bike <laughs> wow um that's a great story to open with <laughs> i know <laughs> And uh, a buddy of mine said it said it well because I was talking to him. He's trying to get me to start. Uh, he's like, "You got to fix it." And I'm like, oh, "I know, I got to fix it. It's a great bike. It's a great bike. I love this bike." And then I'm like, "In the meantime, though, I'm going to get another one." He's like, "You get another one, you'll never fix that bike." Yeah. And I'm like, "No, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's still in my garage <laughs> in the exact same state as when I parked it from that trip." Um, so my next bike was a Kawasaki Versus 650. It's a parallel twin. It has, uh, has okay travel. It's like basically the 650 Ninja with two extra inches of travel mm. on the suspension. And I, that became my first adventure bike. I started learning, to, you know, I was starting to push the gravel roads. There was some, uh, it's an old abandoned warehouse facility with a bunch of trails around it. And I'd ride it out there. No idea what I was doing, but I was, I was trying to do it. And uh, I did some pretty fun trips. I still, I still have that bike. It still runs. Um, and I like it. It's just not my off-road bike anymore. Um and then where the Africa twin comes into the story, I had gotten out of the military and I knew I wanted something to keep me driven in some direction. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted the adventure bike and I wanted to start pushing off road because in that time that I had the versus, I had gotten to know a lot of people who raced 
professionally, like GNCC, Sprint Enduro and stuff like that. And every time I go to these events, the idea of, oh, I want to do these, but I also want to ride my bike here and ride it home from here has always been there. It's always been, I want to do it, but on an adventure bike. Yeah. It was never, I got to get a dirt bike. It's always, the idea has always been, I want to do it on a big bike. I know I'm not going to be as fast and I know it's not going to be as glamorous, but it'd be really cool to ride a bike here, race it, and then ride it home. So (laughs) I I was going to say back up real quick. Uh, Don't gloss over the military entirely. Give me a, give me a, a, an elevator pitch on some of that experience. That way some people kind of get some reference. All right. So my older brother, when I was in high school, I was a kid with the Marine Corps photo, uh, posters on my yeah. bedroom wall. And I knew I was going to be, I knew it. It was just a fact of life was I was going to be in, in the United States Marines. And my older brother actually enlisted before I did. And he came to me after two deployments, one in Afghanistan, one in Iraq. He came to me and he said, Hey, it's not what they make it to be. Consider trying a civilian sector first. Mm. And I said, well, I mean, he's, I do trust him and you know, he's actually doing it. So there is value in what he's saying. So I went to tech school first and picked up student loans, picked up tool loans. I'm mean, you know, a diesel mechanic by trade. So I had tool loans, student loans. I had a truck loan at the time. And I remember laying in bed one night, it was like two 30 in the morning. And I was, it just pissed me off. I'm like, I can't join the Marine Corps because I can't financially do it. Because it and it's a real thing. Like you can't join if you already have financial obligations that you can't meet yeah. and then we'll allow you. So it, it just drove me nuts. I remember being extremely upset with myself for letting that moment go by, like the opportunity passed me by. And then I did some more research and realized I could do the reserves. Yep. So that's the direction I went. I went infantry in the reserves. Um, I was actually a mortarman and there's aspects of the military that I really, I really uh, jived with. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff I didn't jive with, but one of the one of the things was like having having a structure or a goal of physical fitness and having a reason for that physical fitness. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why I went with the adventure bike route after the Marine Corps was it gives me a goal. It's not just going to the gym to be in shape. It's like, well, if you don't, you're going to suffer. <laughs> yeah. So that was like that was one of the main driving factors was yeah, I, I don't want to suffer. Like, I want to be good at this. So this would be a good thing to stay in shape for and, and keep pushing some goals in that regard. I like it. Yeah, I just, I, I didn't know what your answer was going to be, but I knew that the, the two things are related and they're going to keep tying in threads as long the longer yeah. we talk. So we need to talk about that. Yeah. No, that was a good one. Um, so I got the, the Africa twin and I wasn't looking for the Africa twin. I wasn't sold on it. I wasn't it wasn't anything about the Africa twin other than right price, right time. So I was actually looking for like a KTM or something like that because I was, you know, they're more performance orientated and all that. And I remember getting on, I went down to Chattanooga to visit my parents. They had moved from Iowa to Tennessee and uh, Honda power sports out of Chattanooga, which is a great shop. Um, I test rode two Africa twins. One was a manual standard, and the second one was a, a DCT Adventure Sports. And the DCT Adventure Sports is a ginormous bike. <laughs> yeah, I don't know great. how people – it's like huge. They're very different. And Adventure Sports from the regular – or the standard is very, very different, especially yeah. when you're sitting on it and you're like, I feel like I'm on a GS. Like it, they're huge. 
and I was not a fan of DCT. Uh, they have their place. I really like the technology in them, but I, I just didn't like going 35 miles an hour in six gear. Ex- I wasn't expand on that because I've wanted to ride one to experience it. You're the first person that apparently has really been on them. So tell me about what that's like and, and where it well, works and where it, where you don't like it. Um. So I did a, like a block on it, mm-hmm. and I didn't take it through any of the sport modes. But I did manually manually control it, and I did allow it to do its own thing. Uh, it shifts very early, so you f- you're always in the very very bottom of your RPM. I'm talking two to three thousand RPM. The engine yeah. stays right there, so it's very kind of chuggy, which is the Africa Twins engine's great for. But when you're trying to be in that smooth power band of three to four to five, it just won't let you unless you take manual control. Yeah. Otherwise, it's really really smooth shifting. It doesn't jerk you around. Uh, it shifts when you want it to on, on command. And there's a lot, I mean, I, th- I think they're doing a really good thing with it because the Africa twin has it. I know the rebel now has it. The Goldwing has it. And I think there's a bunch of different platforms that have it. Yeah. CTX 1300 had it. I think the NC 750, don't quote me on that, but I think mm-hmm. they made that with the DCT at some point. Honda's all about it. They have cars that have it. Uh, I was yeah, curious yeah. if all had that. I actually almost drove one the other day. And I was, I was, you know, I was like, I'm in a boat of the manuals where I want to be because it's manual full control. Yeah. But after I broke my leg and I'm like, Hmm, <laughs> Hmm. If this doesn't recover the way I want it to, this might be a viable option is still ride the same bike I've been riding. Yeah. Because then I wouldn't have to worry about, uh, the shifter lever. Yeah. So Wait. I was, I was, go ahead. I was fortunate in that regard that the platform shares that aspect with what I've been riding. So what year was that, that you started making this decision? 2019. Okay. So it was very recent. Yeah. Very recent. Yeah. So 2019, I test rode it and immediately was hooked. I mean, sold hook, hook, line and sinker. Started <laughs> looking around for, I mean, I wasn't even, I'd stopped looking at everything else. That was the bike. That was yeah. it. Uh, I started looking for some used bikes because I didn't want to pay retail for something I knew I was going to beat up. I mean, it's just a fact. I just knew it. Um, got back to Ohio and had kind of put it away for a bit, like a month or so. And then uh, I got back on Cycle Trader, and this guy had listed it the day before. He retired from a steel mill, was a BMW touring bike guy, but wanted to ride from Mansfield, Ohio, to the northern part of Alaska and back. So he bought the Africa Twin off the showroom floor, put $4,000 of accessories on it, made the trip, and then sold it. Wow. So, that, that, but yeah, he just rode it to Alaska all the way up to the north, most northern city and then rode it back. And he's like, that's it. That's all I wanted it for. He's like, actually, I bought it specifically for the Denali Highway. Yeah. And, uh, well, that was a great trip. I love the bike, but I'm a BMW guy. So here, here's a deal on it. And I got a heck of a deal on wow. it. Fully kitted out with like, the hard racks or hard panniers, hard racks, uh, all the alt rider stuff on it. Um, hmm. The only thing it didn't have was the race tech suspension that I have on it now. Yeah. So well, what was the, uh, the next evolution in the Africa twin then? Uh, after once I got used to the weight and started riding it and it got confident, I was like, Hmm, I could do a GNCC <laughs> on, stock, on stock suspension and borderline street tires. So Allison and I went to South Carolina. We went to, uh, you have to tell everybody who Allison is. 
Allison's my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's awesome. Her and I did the the Mid Atlantic BDR last year, and she did it on a little two fifty. Three thousand miles in two weeks. On she was on a little two fifty. Yeah, Kawasaki. That's awesome. You guys been together a while, I take it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like how many years so, are we talking here? I'm talking three years. Okay. Coming up on three. All right, yeah. sir. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so her and I go to the GNCC, and uh, there was another two guys with adventure bikes. They're both on Tenere seven hundreds which was really confidence inspiring for me because I wasn't out there just by myself, completely out of water. I mean, after turn one, I was there by myself. There was <laughs> nobody else out there. But <laughs> Which which event brought so many big bikes? I'm not sure, honestly. Where were you? I mean, where'd you go? Where was it located? Uh, it was South Carolina. It was outside Union. So you guys went to a, a, a Grand National Cross Country in South Carolina and coincidentally was there with other large, large yeah, bikes. Yeah, so one of the guys had... One of the guys had been there before the race prior, and actually that was that's a that's a good point because I totally forgot about that. That was what kickstarters. I got a message saying, "Hey, here you go. You've been wanting to do this. This guy's doing it. Why don't you go do it with him?" Yeah, and uh, that's that's kind of what accelerated that. That's a recurring I, theme I, for you, as I discovered. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, so I rode there four and a half hours. Rode there on the Motaz or Moto Z Desert Tractionator HD tires. Yeah, which are good tires until it's wet clay yes um did the race i got one lap it took me an hour and 45 minutes to make one lap and uh i've been there (laughs) yeah and and i I did the lap and i pulled off and i'm like that's it i don't have time to do another one and i don't think i have the energy in my body to do it yep and there was a couple driving factors to both the success of it and the uh the struggle of it um for the success of it was i kind of I like to say that I knew what I was getting myself into, but I just knew that the track ended at some point. <laughs> and the easiest way to get off the track is through the track. It's not turn around and pull off. It's just straightforward. Just keep going. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons it was really hard. One, I don't have the physical conditioning for a two-hour race like that. Two, uh, the stock suspension is not up to the task <laughs> of that. Because I remember one time, it was bump stop, bump stop, bump stop. And I passed this guy. And I'm going slow enough to ha- to hear what he said, but I'm still hitting the bump stops. And he goes, he hits a bump stop, and he goes, "Is that thing okay?" <laughs> and I just that, that stuck with my brain. I'm like, "Yeah, this is not probably going as well as I think it's going." The the front forks or or the front uh, forks and, both the, of them. and the shock and the shock wow. mostly the front forks. Front forks took a beating. Huh. I was very much expecting when I pulled them apart later to find damage, but they were they were okay. Like, wow, they're fine. Yeah. So that was your, well, I mean, what kind of off-roading experience had you had up to that point? Zero, none. <laughs> other than, other than like, I've ridden some trails. Yeah. Like, like Jeep trails, but not, never single track. That was the first time I ever got into single tracks. So just it, showed up on the Africa Twin and went with it. Yep. Put the goggles <laughs> on so, so people couldn't see the fear in my eyes and just, here we go. <laughs> That's classic, man. <laughs> it's a horrible idea. What time? Yeah, exactly. It was like this is gonna be either this will this may break me, but I can't I can't imagine not trying. I've been wanting to do it for so long. Why not now? Wow. If, a... Because if not now, then when? Yeah, I I mean I I wish I could bottle your attitude and your perspective. <laughs> And give it to people because I've I've met so many people that when you talk to them they're so pumped up about you know whatever dual sport race 
adventure, whatever it is. They, they're totally into it, but they just, they can't commit. So well, I, that, that was the, the funny part was there was the aspect of, I didn't, I was afraid of failing. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's everything. You could do that anywhere in any direction in life. So like, once you reason that out, it's like, okay, well, we're trying this. Um, I just, I talked to some people who were experienced and who had walked the track before because they were racing the same, t- the same day that I was actually same time I was. And they said, Hey, you come around this corner. It's a right-hand turn. It's a big hill climb. There's an easy path on the right. That's the only place I think you're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, which was clear instructions for this person, but it was <laughs> not clear instructions for me because I've thought I hit that hill climb already. I'm like, dude, I did that hill climb. I'm yeah. golden. No. Yeah, no, I got halfway up this other hill climb and the bike came to a stop and I threw it down to the side. I slid probably eight foot down below the bike. Yeah. And I'm trying to climb up to it because I just fell off the bike and I slid down eight foot. I'm climbing up to it and a dirt bike goes right between me and my bike. And I'm like, I'm in a really bad spot right now <laughs> yes. because, because these riders are coming around the corner and they're looking for where they're putting a the front wheel at the bottom yeah. and they commit and then they look up and there I am. Right. So like I'm dragging this bike down. I the mistake was not necessarily trying to hill climb because that's just part of it. The mistake was I threw the bike down on the left side and yep. not the right side because my kickstand dug in. Yep. And I'm trying to pull the bike through with this yeah. It's this GNC I know. This GNCC rep comes on over. He has the headgear, the radio, the backpack, all that stuff. He's a you know a, a race official and he comes up and he starts pulling the bike to the bottom I'm like this is it I'm gonna get kicked off the track this is just gonna be awful like here it's the end of it you know my kickstand's bent almost sixty degrees forward like it's just this is just a mess and I'm gassed out and I get to yeah. the bottom he he helps me pick the bike up and push it off to the side and he looks at me and he goes this is awesome keep going <laughs> and I'm like okay and then i look over to my right and there's a official yamaha race rep guy and he's just dude if he could kill me i would never have left those woods uh, he was so mad that i was there oh he uh <laughs> he forgot to bring his guys that's that's it yeah i want i want to talk about that some more but that it is the enthusiasm from the community everywhere when you yes. show up on something that doesn't fit the norm i don't care if it's street bikes dirt bikes it doesn't matter what it is when you show up on something classic or unexpected everybody loves it it's yeah that's where it's at so you get yeah. your, you get your lap i mean what what are the track conditions what's the weather like during this entire event luckily it had been dry which is the way i like it, it was extremely dusty which was my first experience of like oh you you got a line you're gonna go through it here's here's where i'm gonna put my bike and my front wheel and then i see where i'm gonna go and then a dirt bike passes you and it all disappears <laughs> and yeah. you're like oh i don't know what happened i gotta slow down that was my first experience with that and i remember distinctly i didn't realize how the gncc marked their miles or their track out with literal numbers just whole numbers yeah. so i'm riding around i'm riding around i'm tired i'm exhausted i'm trying to find like just see what my progress is. I'm like, why does that say five? Why does that say six? I'm like, Oh, that's the miles. Yeah. And it's a 13 and a half mile loop. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> this is, this is going to be a long lap. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like the, the GNCC reps enthusiasm was huge for me. That was such a boost because I, I knew that it didn't really matter what other people thought. They just want people out there doing it. Yeah. Like, that's really, that's the biggest thing. Like, I think what people don't, they lose sight of is it doesn't matter if you're on a dirt bike or if you're on a big adventure bike, you're the first time out there, you're going to struggle. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you have a 200 pound bike or a 500 pound bike until you figure it out. It's, it's going to be a struggle. Yeah. That's 
that, that is the perfect explanation of that. Um, I raced my first uh, cross-country race on the CRF250L, and uh, I thought I knew how to ride, and I'm I'm a moron, and I'll tell you, I don't know how to ride today uh, after everything I've learned from that mess. Uh, and that's it. It's it. I never raced, had no idea what to expect or any of that stuff. So there's definitely fast kids that get out there and, and are skilled uh, and definitely do pass a lot of people. Um, but it, for most of us mortals, it's, it, it is pretty savage the first time. You are basically running into the field and getting beat up, and then you realize, huh, I had a good time. Let's do that again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I, I love about the cross-country series racing or the cross-country format is when you're out there, it, it takes all the questions about if you can or can't out or what you're going to do. It's This is the track. Yeah. And you just you just do it. And if you have to wait for somebody to go by and you watch how they do it, you just wait for somebody to go by and watch how they do it. Otherwise, it's just a simple game of problem solving. Yeah, it's just problem solving one after another. And you'll realize like you are way more capable and your bike is way more capable than you initially thought. Yeah. It's... As opposed to just going out there on your own. You're like, oh, I, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do this instead. And you really short yourself on what you can do. Yeah. That's, I mean, without taking this down a, a giant rabbit hole about that, because I want to cover some of the more experience you have, but it, that, that is one of the biggest things that's addicting about big bikes to me, not specifically racing, but in general that yes, if you're not comfortable and you're afraid you're going to break something and you're going to get in your head and you got to go home and all this stuff, I get it. Go past, you know, go around the obstacle, turn around, whatever it is. But it's the checker or sorry, it's the chess versus checkers. It really is the huge mental game that it is to try to carry a big bike through off-road obstacles. I I'm addicted to it. I can't turn it off. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> Same. Uh, so, so after the, G- so after GNCC, I realized that as, as optimistic as I am and as much of a, as I classify that as a success as I did, because I was gas, I was beat, I got one lap in, but I got a lap in. I scored points. Well, it's trail rider class, but right. otherwise I would have scored points. Um, I realized I couldn't really, until I fixed the suspension of the bike and I learned some more things, I wasn't going to be able to do a GNCC again. Like, that's not a realistic expectation. I'm likely to get hurt at that. Excuse me. So, what I f- found was I need to find suspension. That was the first step. And then... I really wanted to find a good set of off-road tires. I really was trying to make the Moto Z work, but there's just too much compromise in that. Um, it was too much of a, just a medium all-around tire, and I needed something something more aggressive. But the first stop was... Let, let me throw something in there just because I know we have a lot of adventure people. I have ran that tire on both my Scrambler and my CRF250L. I'm not saying it's a bad tire. I'm not saying don't buy it. I am saying that I believe here in this part of the East Coast in Ohio and Kentucky, it is less than ideal. There are many better tires for most applications on the for the dollar. So just I wanted to to say there's two opinions on this podcast that are yeah, in, yeah. in agreement yep. that that's a nice tire, but something about it's like pyramid shaped really hard knobs. Mm-hmm. doesn't seem to work in this loamy clay soil very well at all. No, not not if there's moisture. <laughs> yeah. I, I did I mean I did tons of OHV on it and had a great time with them. Yeah. It, you know, it's confidence inspiring there, but once you get into where those they load up, they don't unload. Yeah. Was... And they they slick right up. 
I was, but I, I mean, I, yeah, but I was able to ride nine hours on them and race on a set of tires and they weren't really affected. So like that's a valid value. Yep. Yeah. Um, so got back from the race, needed a new and neat suspension. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And everywhere I was looking was basically basic shock kits or a drop. And I know I don't want a drop suspension. That's counterintuitive. That's counter to what I'm trying to do. Um, and I found through Upshift Magazine that they worked with Racetech and they said they had really good success with a Racetech kit. And it was the original fork bodies, but it's a, a spring and valve setup. And then it's complete rear shock. So I went through Racetech and they, they took all my information, my weight, what I was trying to do. And they didn't even like, there was no hesitation when I told them I'm trying to race an adventure bike cross country in East Coast. They're like, okay, here's the settings you need. Like it was just immediate, like, okay. That's yeah, awesome. This isn't, yeah, this isn't crazy. So I get all these parts and I've never tor- taken a, a pair of forks apart like that. And I had to build this, the, the valves. Oh, so no instructions. So they just gave you the shims and you just stacked yeah. them up. That's awesome. Yeah, I stacked them up and I had to figure it out the hard way. I'm like, I don't know how any of this goes, but it took like two days to rebuild the front forks alone, but I got them and, and still working fine. So I think I, I think I did it right. Um, I, I've ridden your bike and I'm going to say it's delicious. Like, yeah, Drew yeah. approves. <laughs> <laughs> So after that work got really busy and I really didn't do much for the rest of the year. And I remember sitting around, I think it was Christmas. We're sitting around a fire in the backyard and I'm like, I remember seeing your post about KXCR, but you were on a dirt bike last year. Yeah. And then I was talking to you about it. And I think you said that, I think that's when you said that they're bringing the ADV class. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. I marked my calendar for the year. I'm doing all seven rounds. I don't care what it takes. <laughs> like, yeah. I have to commit now because otherwise I'm never going to do it. Yeah. So that's, that's where I ended up at KXCR and KXCR round one was race number two in my yeah. experience. Yeah. And then KXCR round two was race number 2.1 because I made it like a, a half a mile through the woods. Kevin and I both locked up our front wheels oh, yeah. with that clay. Yeah. Well, rewind and, and I don't even know if I've told the listeners the way that round one went, um, I, I mentioned some of the stuff to it or whatnot. And of course, you know, talked about what I did to the bike and whatnot. So for the folks that didn't hear that episode, tell <laughs> folks your experience with Kentucky cross country racing and definitely be sure to include the weather. Oh yeah. Okay. So <laughs> it's rained a lot. Yeah. Let's start with that. It rained a lot. And we get there. It's it's very wet, slippery, like wet, waterlogged clay is probably yeah. the best way to describe it is waterlogged clay. I remember I didn't know what I was getting myself into again. It's the beginning of the year, so I hadn't like been riding and practicing. I just, here we are. We're going to do this. And <clears throat> I met with Drew, and we start taking off to go to the start line. He went a totally different direction than I did. I remember the first, the first set of off-road riding I did for the year was – down the ditch through the creek that we had flowing water across it, and straight up this greased creek. So I'm like, and there's all these people around. I'm like, oh, there was a well. big crowd. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm, well, I might as well get this over with now and get it out of my system. And I, and I came out the other side, and everybody's like, what? And I'm like, I don't know how I did that, but I'm gonna keep going to the start line. So I, Drew and I lined up at the start line, and it was, I mean, it was slick. Uh, we compared to round seven, we putts around the first start through yeah. the whole shot and then i watched drew go go up the hill and i remember coming up to the base of the hill and i'm looking up. i think there's a picture of me i'm just looking up and i'm like oh it's awful why why do i why are we going up there like, why 
<laughs> this uh, that was the so this first round actually kind of mirrors a little bit the way the first round went in twenty twenty one. We also went up that hill in a similar start line, and it was chaos because the weather was almost identical. In fact, I think it rained really hard the morning before, and that hill is this weird combination of shale and clay. It is the shortest hill that is the most evil thing you will ever meet after it rains. And, and tree roots. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's and, some of those in there too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I did manage to pass you. I came up and you were you were stopped. Yeah. I and I, I passed got, you. I got stuck. <laughs> Yep. I got up to the top and I'm like, dude, I'm doing great. Dude, I just already passed Drew. Like, we're golden. <laughs> and I'm going around. I think I'm holding a good pace. And I, and I realized Drew's behind me again. And I mean, you're just like, you're just watching me. And we start coming down. We just start coming down the hill. I choose the left line. And he goes right between two trees. I, I hit the handlebars off him. And I'm good. I'm good. I'm in a, I'm in a rut. And I, this young rider, probably 20, 20 yards ahead of me in the same rut dumps no, his bike and i'm yeah. already coming down a hill. I, as soon as i put my fingers on the front brake lever it was down yeah. and i remember looking at the uh gopro fit, footage from you it looks like i just threw my bike down in rage yes. like i'm done i'm like no i just touched the brake that's, that's <laughs> yes. all i did <laughs> no that uh they they do not call it clay city for nothing uh man that place if it rains one or two days you you've got to wait three or four days for it to even remotely dry out it's yeah it's pretty miserable and i just I just remember the field section, like you said, the start. It was like the slowest start in history in a cross-country race because it was like, we can't go anywhere. It's just spinning. <laughs> True story. There was, a lot of, there was a lot of good lessons in that race, though. I mean, Extremely. I came out of it. Yeah, I, I did one, one and a half laps. Um, I yeeted the bike right over that steel pipe, much to the, the appeasement of the crowd. They love you. Uh, they, yeah, they love, love you. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I wasn't even mad. I hit the other side. I'm like, I got it over. Imagine yes. if I didn't get it over. That would be bad. We got it over. So that was a huge win. I mean, it was fun. Um, because I'm like, I'm pulling up and the guy's like on the, on the right hand side, he's like, he's pointing down in front of him. What yeah. I realize now is he's like, go around, go around. Yeah. Cause I told him, I was like, there's no way, like I've got six inches of, of, of ground clearance. Like this thing will never go over that. Obviously my scrambler is a lot lower than the Africa twin, but yeah. that whole yeah. pipe was completely <laughs> greased with clay and water. Like it was evil. Yep. Yep. And I'm like, Oh, he means jump it here. I'm like, okay. So I go over to his side and I give it throttle. It does nothing. It just spins. But I yeah. still had enough momentum in the bike that it, it did compress and get over. But when, when the front came up, the windshield hit my goggles, like my visor, like oh. right in the center. I remember I closed my eyes and it was just over at that point. Like it in flinch, oh. closed my eyes and it was just on the ground. And uh, yeah, I got the bike up and started rolling again. Everybody was cheering and happy and it was a good time. Um, I'm glad I got it over because... I mean, it's it's still a 500 pound bike well, and super super sloppy clay. The the photographs, like Bill Devore has <laughs> yeah. captured that moment. It is now immortalized as the greatest Africa twin who have ever lived. Short of uh, what's his name, um, Tony Bow. Tony Bow, yeah. Short of Tony Bow, it is now the greatest <laughs> Africa twin that has ever been anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of hoping to, to try and redeem myself on that pipe this last round, but that didn't happen. They changed the, they changed the layout, which is I like the new layout. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a better challenge. Um, but so I got through with the first lap and started getting through and lap two, there's a creek bed where people have drawn so much water up over the rocks on the other side. I tried to get up it and I hesitated too much. I was tired. I was hesitating. I just I lost my momentum and it took a lot of effort to get the bike turned around. 
and back up the other side, I said, I got to ride this home because this is race number two for me Boy. where I rode the bike to the race yes, and race and then I rode the bike home. Um, so I'm like, I got to, I got to draw the line here because I have to, I, one, it has to work all the way four and a half hours home yep. and two, I got to work all the way four and a half hours home. Yep. So that's where I called it, but I was happy with it. I met some really nice people out there just, just talking to people and the track sweep came by just, yeah, just follow the Creek and I'll follow you out. And that was, that was round one. Um, one of the lessons I really picked up on that though, is trust, trust the bike mm-hmm. when you're doing a hill climb. Just stay in the throttle and trust the engine to tractor up it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do so much less work than yep. if you're trying to, to hot rod it and goose and just you're, you just stop working on the bike. Just grab the bike with your knees and let that parallel twin tractor you straight up the hill. It works almost every single time. It's amazing. Um, well, that's it, I want to tie into that because that's I've told lots of people that because obviously you know you and I both gather you know with people on those sidelines and before and after the race you know we everybody has something to talk about uh, and mm-hmm. and it, it that's the thing I try to emphasize to so many people adventure bikes shockingly make certain things really easy and there are other things that are extremely difficult and it's very different from other bikes that downhills to me are absolutely terrifying on a 500 pound bike but lots yep. of hill climbs i'm like i got traction all day this is no problem <laughs> we're just going to get into this twin and get after it yeah i mean so. the, ste- the steeper it is the more it's on the rear tire the, right. the happier it is so <laughs> yeah as long as you keep the front down get after it she's gonna yep. just let the big dog eat that's fine but yeah on the downhill it's like oh man these brakes are shit and i don't know if that's good or bad right now yeah i'm, dr- I'm dragging the rear tire more down the hill than i'm actually like breaking mm. with it yeah, true story. So, sorry, I interrupted your your lessons and whatnot. Oh, that's all right. So, uh, got through round one um, with, you know, a lap and a half or not, but happy, just happy because I'm out there yep. doing it. And uh, learning to, to just trust the bike and, and stay loose on the bike. Because when you start tightening up, you start tensing up, you're just working yourself and you're not allowing the bike to do its thing. That's basic off-road riding 101. Um, and then round two came around no the next one was uh we did train with pros yeah train with the pros yeah and allison came out and she rode with them and i rode with them um yeah that was a great class that was a lot Mm. of fun i I came out of it learned i learned a ton andy's great at teaching like that's a that's a very it's a teaching and demonstrating effectively is one of those skills that people like oh yeah you could do that until you actually have to do it and you realize there's a lot to it there is a lot to it and uh, had a great time with them. Came out with a lot more, a lot more experience, a lot more confidence on the bikes. And came into round two, everything was looking great until. But I was gonna say uh, unsolicited like statement. I, w- I want to double to touch on that. You brought that up. Andy and Susan together are an incredible pair. Yes, that that approach training motorcyclists from very different places. So Mm -hmm. it's so awesome to spend a few bucks, get training with them because you're going to gravitate toward one or the other. So you have those options and it's just, I don't know. It's just, to me, it's invaluable to get it from those two because of the skill sets, the personalities, the experience. They're so different that they can, they can train to me, anyone like. Yeah, absolutely. A really good example of that was Allison came out and she did it too. And she was getting overwhelmed with, performing you know the training exercises in front of people and susan took her and 
Yeah. And one-on-one and Allison came out with a lot more confidence and got training that actually stuck with her because she wasn't, she was able to get away from the crowd and clear her head and just yep. get what she came for, you know? I, so that's huge. I just, I want to put emphasis on that. Not because obviously Andy's my friend and he's on the show and Susan and so on forth. There's just, I want to see more people in the sport. And so I want to really make sure that people understand that, that there are some people out there that they can reach you regardless of personality archetype because they have such differing personalities and skill sets. They're just both interested in riding off-road, but their approaches to me are from completely different places. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just specifically racing off-road. It's just like, how do you handle your bike right. off-road? Like, how right. do you get to confidence? If you want to do BDR, you want to go into it confident, not thinking you're going to get yourself into a disaster. Right. So that's a great place to pick up on just the confidence and the carrying skills or the skills that will carry you through that. Yeah, absolutely. It's supposed to be your vacation, right? If you're stressed yeah. out the whole time, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah. If you're deadlifting motorcycles when you don't have to be. I mean, <laughs> I can't think that's fun, but most people don't think that's fun. <laughs> so after training with the pros, uh, we went to round two and it was, it was looking to be really good. It had a motocross section, which I don't jump. I roll them. Um, <laughs> yeah. that is riding through the woods is I've gotten used to that. My brain is okay with that. Jumping I still haven't gotten okay with that. It might have to do with an incident earlier, but um, actually it happened at train with the pros mm. where I was at the motocross section. The guy's like, Hey, those are rollers. And then after that is a jump. Don't roll that fast. I'm like, Oh, okay. And I rolled it fast and hit the base of another jump and went through my windshield. So uh, I, that's what I was going to say earlier. Now <laughs> that you mentioned it the second time, I wanted to bring that up because I, it, I don't know who in the crowd is listening this applies to, but I want to say it anyway. Lots of people are fascinated by rally towers and windshields and all that other stuff. And I'm like, they have their place. They're good things, but you need to understand the more aggressive you ride off road, the more likely you are to get hit in the face with that windshield yep. and that tower that you think is so awesome. You need yep, to that- be careful. It will hurt you severely. <laughs> Yep. So the windshield hit my hit me right in the goggles and made me tense up. Um, so I got rid of the windshield after round one, and then I still had my 3D printed phone mount. Well, I went through that at <laughs> uh, uh, at a uh, train with the pros. So there goes that when you and that was the rest of that. Um, so then round two came around and it was looking great until it rained for an hour during a race. So all those bikes from Saturday's race just beat that moisture right into it mm-hmm. and uh yeah i got i didn't get too far neither did kevin so what yeah. we ran into was i still had my stock street fender mm-hmm. on the front wheel it had a three-quarter inch riser on it but it was still hugging the tires on the sides which is a, a very key part well how did you how did you lift that three quarters it was an alt rider kit Oh, they so they, yeah, yeah, so they, oh, wow. So somebody's already thought about that. So three quarter yep. of an inch clearance, not enough. Not, well, it's three quarter inch clearance on the top of the treads. It has nothing to do with the sides of the fender yep. to the to the wheels, which is really what it was catching. Yep. And uh, it turned into, it, 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 so round one was that waterlogged, soppy clay. <laughs> oh, round two, just, round yeah, two man. was potter's clay. It was, you <laughs> throw it on the wall and yes. every bit of it stayed on the wall. It was so <laughs> sticky. 
and uh, came through the first corner or went into the first woods and drew past me and was fighting with uh, with Andy on the first hill. I know I got awesome footage of that. That was fun. Yeah, you guys are both in front of me. Yeah, it was yep. uh, Kevin and myself. And I think I got it past Kevin right as we got into the woods. And yeah, that's exactly it. Keep going. Yeah. And then uh, so I get out of there. We go into the, the open field and we go back into the second set of, set of woods. And everyone's like, be careful out there because it's right next to the creek. It's really, really wet. And uh, it was a pile of bikes right in the last bit of the woods before you get back into the uh, clearing. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to go left. That was all thorn bush that I went into. <laughs> and all of a sudden, out of the thorn bush comes Drew grabbing my bike and pulling me out. And I'm like, there's thorns. Hold on. It's like grabbing on me and stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're going. Here we go. We get out there. You, you left out a key detail. You were stuck. <laughs> I sunk the scrambler to the pegs in a rut that was so deep that I was completely immobilized in. Yeah. Knowing that a bunch of 500-pound bikes were chasing me, I was like, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure some kid doesn't fly around the corner and eat it into the back end of one of these big bikes. So, yes, I was throwing you out of the bushes. Yeah. <laughs> and I get like – it was the strangest thing. I get out of the, the woods and it's this open clearing. I'm like, okay – I'm going to pin it and get there. I'm going to get to the top of first gear and that's going to be it. I get 10 feet and I'm wide open throttle and it's not moving. I'm not holding the clutch. I'm in gear, wide open RPM. Rear wheel is spinning, but I'm not going anywhere. And I get off the, I put the side stand down and get out yep. and the whole front wheel is completely packed. And there it took like six of us to get it unstuck. And uh, the guy's like, it's better in the woods. You'll be fine. It no. wasn't better in the woods. No. I wasn't fine. It was, it <laughs> no. was just, I got back into the woods and Kevin and I did the same dance. And what I learned was the best way out is put it in a rut, let the rut steer you and just hold the throttle. And I get to a turn. And if there wasn't a rut to carry the bike through the turn, I would go to the far corner of the turn, like basically straight through to the other side, lay the bike on its side, turn it, pick it up in the direction I needed it to go and keep going. It was, it was a struggle. It was, Uh, I I wish there would have been a way to make a funny video out of it. Cause it was, it was hilarious. Cause I'm in, I'm, you know, Andy's smoking all of us and yeah. I'm in second and all of us stop like every hundred feet to get all the clay off our bikes and then get back on and ride a little bit and then stop and then clean the clay and then ride a bit and get stopped. Like, like it was the most hilarious race ever. Cause you could, I could see you and Kevin behind me. Like, it was yeah. like this is ridiculous. Yeah. And I remember it was funny because I was right, the first time my front wheel locked up, I had a bunch of people around me. I'm working, I'm working really hard to get everything cleared out. And I get back in the woods and all of a sudden I come up to Kevin. I'm like, when did Kevin pass me? I have no idea when he, what did he cheat? What did he do? I don't remember him coming past me, but here he is. And he's just looking at me with like this desperate look on the face. I had the same desperate look on my face and we're like, well, we're in it. We're going to figure it out. Yeah. So that's, that's solid gold. Uh, Cause it is funny how it hit all of us. Um, I don't yeah. think you brought that up and I don't think I've talked about that anywhere else publicly, but yeah, I, I put a high fender on my scrambler, but I put the, uh, the, I left the fork brace in there and it loaded mm-hmm. up just like your guys did. So I removed that after that race because I was like, I'm screwed here. That's a very so- different bike without the fork brace. I might add. Is it better or worse? I do not like, um, I would not, I would never do that to adventure ride. 
because the front end, the, the wheel is steel, so it's so heavy. So if I jerk yeah. the bars fast enough in a turn correction, like you can almost feel it vibrate, right? Because it, mm-hmm. it snaps back in a weird way. I'm like, yeah, that's not supposed it's, to do that. Yeah, it kind of acts like a, kind of acts like a spring. Yeah, because I've got traditional right side out forks, so mm-hmm. I don't have you know stiff stanchions, so they flex quite a bit. Um, I, I'm hoping I didn't bend them in the last race, but we'll get to that. Um, but I, I may figure out how to fashion an extension for that fork brace, but it's the same problem. It's the left to right clearance. So if I bolt anything there, if I put the fa- factory bolts back in it, mm-hmm. it's going to do the same thing. I, I just covered them, the bolt holes with duct tape just to keep the mud out of them. Cause I was like, I can't put anything here to plug them unless I buy some set screws because yeah. it's going to, it's going to create the same problem even with the uh, fork brace missing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so race two is a really good example of kind of a mentality that I have when it comes to changing parts on the bike. I change parts not because everyone tells me, oh, you should do this because X, Y, Z. I change parts because this failed me and I need a real solution. Like, because if you throw parts on a bike, you don't understand, at least my personal opinion, you don't understand the gravity of what you're doing. Yep unless you've seen that component fail the front fender was it like i didn't want to put a high front fender on my bike because i i just didn't think they look good on the bike and like it's money and it's like i'd rather just ride it till it fails and see why yep and then if i rode it till it failed i'm like okay we're doing this so i put a high front fender on it and i'm i'm actually quite happy with the way it looks and everything it's, it's rad yeah, it looks it looks good, and the the fork guards are all great, and Art Rider hooked me up with them, and I'm I'm happy with that. Um, but that isn't that doesn't mean it'll never load up again. That's always yeah. a possibility. That's that's just reality of it. Um, same thing with the suspension. I I had never ridden to the point where you know, you, you hear all these people who are like, oh yeah, the suspension's this and it's it's that, and it, you have to do this, you have to do that. I'm like, I've never I've bottomed it out, yes, but I've never seen it fail until I went to a GNCC. And then I saw it fail. I saw it fail for an hour and 45 minutes and I realized, okay, so that's, that's where the money is being spent. Well, I love so, that. I love that message. Um, that is weird. You and I've never talked about that. And that mm-hmm. I am in complete agreement of that. I will, I will break something before I replace it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I just, I just want to know what I'm doing has a, a specific purpose. It's not just bling because that's where really that's kind of where I'm like, Oh, it's what everyone does and it's blingy and it looks the part. Well, make it the part. Yeah. Right. Put it through the things that actually warrant that. And then you understand why it's the way it is. So, so round two, high front fender, GNCC suspension. Um, and then in the mix of that, I did actually get a second set of wheels because I, I was mm-hmm. tired of doing the compromise because if you want to ride somewhere, you can't put Shinko MX two sixteens on it and go four hours. It's just yep. not realistic. So I've got a spare set of wheels. They're just OEM, africa twin wheels um they're gold so they became my street wheels i put street nice smooth street tires on it like oh yeah i don't have to listen to this knobs hum anymore you know i can go on a street ride and not put earplugs in so that was a huge benefit um and then i have the original black wheels that have been on the bike for thirty-two thousand miles and that's my off-road wheels because i don't really care about them they can get beat up Yep. You know, they're standard size or standard width. I haven't done the, the I haven't put uh, narrow wheels or put, you know, moose in it. Not that I don't want to. It's just, I need, I need to, like, I need to see that first. Like I need to see the benefit of that first. It's so. This is probably uh inside baseball, but since you mentioned that piece, um, do me a favor with your rear wheel, grab a piece of cardboard 
and cut it to the exact profile of one of the wheels with no tire in it. So mm -hmm. I know what the actual, you know, like W type shape is. And I'll compare that to the rim lock that I had to 3D print for mine. Um, I pro I've probably talked about that elsewhere. I, that same race, we're talking about round two, I got a flat because I tore a valve stem. So I designed and built a, a rim lock for my rear rim, which you can't do just like I couldn't do because of the, uh, the four inch rim. You can't just go out and buy one. So grab a piece of cardboard and cut that profile and uh, get it to me. And I'll double check it against what I have, and I'll modify the model, and we can uh, we can talk about getting you a rim lock for that thing. All right, all right. Yeah. It's amazing how much like three D printing has actually gotten into motorcycling it, too. It's <laughs> just the best twenty dollars I've ever paid a friend to make a part because I went yeah. three rounds this year at twenty psi without fear. Like, oh my god, the traction is amazing. Funny. We were talking about that, and you're like, yeah, if I go down to twenty psi, like I want that rim lock. I'm like, I was running at twelve with no rim lock. <laughs> <laughs> no. like, okay. Uh, that, that's the thing, right? Like I got DNF just like everybody else did, but I could see the finish line. I was that close <laughs> when the tire was flat. I was not happy. <laughs> I only if, I've only torn torn one tube and there's a rear and it was from running too low. And that was yep. that was my backyard and I had to go a hundred yards and I didn't know if I was gonna make the hundred yards. So that was that was an experience. They started peeling off to the side and starting to hit the swing arm. It's like, uh, let's see how did I do that. So I got a flat in twenty twenty, I think twenty twenty. Yeah, I got a flat in twenty twenty at a race, um, October. As a matter of fact, uh, I hit a, I did a pass in a creek and hit a nasty rock, and I got a pinch flat. And I started running ultra heavy duty tubes after that because I was running just heavy duty. And that was on the Husky, and then I got a, I, I did a. I've ripped a valve stem at Pike State Forest near Hillsboro, riding my 250L with some buddies. I had no, um, whatchamacallit, rim locks in, and I was running probably 12, 14 PSI. And we were just, there's a bunch of like water breaks there. And so I was just jumping all of them and just giving it the beans until finally the tube was like, forget this noise. And then, <laughs> and then round two. So yeah, I've, I have learned my lesson about rim locks. Like they matter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, that reminds me. I'm actually the last round seven at 20 psi. I was running a standard tube. I didn't even have a heavy duty tube Oof. in it. This is all I had. And I'm like, well, Oof. I guess we'll just do. We'll see what happens. Brave man. Okay. Well, so tell us the story. What happened after round two? So round two, um, got back and was like, okay, we're going to put a high front fender on this. We're going to practice some more. We're going to get ready for the round three because I'm loving it. This is just a fun series. I love the people I get to ride with, and and the, the an important part. The people at KXCR are a lot of fun. They're mm -hmm. there for fun. And you go to different events, you know, like a Grand National, and people aren't necessarily there for fun. It's work. It's business. It, expand so, on that some more from your own personal experience with both ends. And this isn't me pushing either one of those events. Like, talk okay, so about like, that some more. Because people that don't race have no idea what you're talking about exactly. So expand yeah, so, on that some. So, like, as a, if when you, when you know, like... I went to these races with professional riders and this was their, their job. Like this, their performance was based on how much to get paid and how much their career will progress next year. So it was, it was a heavy weekend regardless. So if, if they had a bad race, that was just a bad week entirely up until the next chance that they get to race again. Um, and they don't want, it's not that they're, they're, they're cynical about it, but they don't want people who don't belong there polluting the track to hmm. an extent 
So like, and it, it's not like they they want to deny the track. It's just if it costs them a race because somebody drops their bike right in front of them, that's a big deal for them. You know, if it costs them five seconds, that could be the race. It could, and it adds up. It's not always just one bike. It's this and it's that, and it's very business orientated. And you know, they're good people, and and it's all around a good time usually. But it's still a very different perspective than people are showing up like see if we can make a lap let's go hang out and ride dirt bikes you know it's it's very very different yeah um you, you go to kxcr and people look at you funny like you got a big heavy bike but that's the extent of it they just look at you funny and then yeah. they're back to you know watching their kids race or watching their significant other race and life goes on you go to a gncc and you're on a big bike and they're like how do we get him out of here like what is he doing get him off the track like let's not let's not entertain this idea unless you're a gncc rep and then they're like yeah this is awesome That's but uh yeah it's this just, is it's, this is how you felt based yes. on the people that basically were looking at you on the start line yeah 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 that's unfortunate yeah it's it was a little bit of a downer but fortunately there were enough people that are like dude that's awesome that it just yeah. kind of kept me going um so that's, that's one of the reasons I really, really, I mean, aside from the fact that KXCR has an adventure bike class and they're like, Hey, let's figure out how to grow this. We're not expecting you to be, you know, pro and we're not going to put you in the bad spots. Let's figure out how we can grow this. Like that, I, that was huge. I really like the way they handled it. Uh, they haven't announced the stuff for next year. I'm, I'm patiently awaiting that, but it, yes, I, I think they made the right choice putting us with the right people. I'm very concerned about um, running into some kids and whatnot, but it mm-hmm. keeps the pace and the crowd at the right level where I hear bikes coming. I'm not getting in their way a lot. Mm-hmm. I, if the kids are stuck, that's no problem. I'm not in a big hurry. <laughs> like it works out. Yeah. Yeah. So back to like round two, get home, start practicing. I have, I'm a little more focused. I'm figuring this out. And in my backyard, I did like a 30 minute like ride through my trails because I have about three quarters of a mile trail with some grass track and some logs and stuff. And where, where is this, by the way? I don't Tennessee. It okay. is, uh, yeah. You talked uh, about Ohio for quite a while. I'm like, I didn't uh, think you were from Ohio. <laughs> you lived in Tennessee. I lived in Ohio for eight years and then moved yeah. to Tennessee. So I live 45 minutes north of Chattanooga. So yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. It's literally from Lexington. You take 75 South forever and then eventually you peel off and you're not far from it. So um, doing some practice, do about 30 minutes and it's June 1st and it's hot and it's humid. And I go back and I go inside for a break and I'm like, okay, I need some water. I need to calm down. But like I, I made some suspension adjustments. I'm like, I don't really like the way the front feels. I kept thinking about, kept thinking about it. I'm like, actually I'm going to do like two or three more laps and that I'll see, I'll make a change and see if that fixes it. I can't figure out what it is. And I literally got on the bike, went down the hill, went into the woods in the first turn i crashed and broke my tib fib and the lesson there is if you go in for a break you're done for the day that's it like don't don't overextend yourself um that's that's a good point i've had this experience on a dirt bike before you're yeah, not wrong it's your gas like you may recover and feel better but you're still you're still tired you know you're still not thinking the same way that you would normally so you probably picked that up from the Marines too. I, I've tried to explain endurance to people that I'm like, your endurance is really good and it kind of comes off a little bit and then it falls off a cliff. Yes. Yes. You may physically be able to do the actions, but your clarity of mind is not there. Yeah. You know, that suffers too. Your, your mind suffers just as much as your body does. 
And that's the driving factor. If you start hesitating, chopping the throttle when you're not chopping the throttle, just kind of holding back on your inputs, then it's going to catch up with you. Yeah. So, yeah, I broke I broke my tip fib June first, and Allison and my little brother picked me up out of the woods, got me to the hospital. Allison drove me to the hospital, went to the emergency room, didn't take the boot off. You know, I was like, okay, it's, I know it's broken. It's very clear that it's broken. I'm going to leave it on. They actually sent me home that night. They gave what? me. Yeah, they soft splinted it after they took the boot off, which was an ordeal. Holy cow, I'll save the details. Um, they put in a soft splint, gave me two Percocets and said, see you in the morning. They didn't x-ray it? They did x-ray it, but it's like we found out it was broken, but they're like, here's a soft splint and here's some pain medication and uh, you have an appointment at uh, this place at 9 o'clock in the morning. They're going to tell you what they're going to do. Is this like just are you that rural that they didn't want to set it and cast it or yeah, what? I don't know if it was just too late in the night and well they, they well first off they didn't want to set it and cast it they wanted to do what they called a nail procedure where they put a steel rod in oh, that was that okay. was the preferred procedure and the surgeon wasn't available that night okay so they uh, sent me i didn't know that i was just like okay well, i didn't know it'd be sent people home with broken bones but all right yeah and uh so I went into the bone place in the morning and they're like, this is what we're going to do X, you know, ABC. And I'm like, I don't care. Just put me under and fix it. Right. And, uh, they said, you know, you got to go to this hospital and your, your surgery's at one thirty. So go to the hospital, go through surgery, takes three hours, come out. And, uh, I got a stainless steel rod in my tibia. And two weeks later they take the soft splint off and it's just an open leg to the air for the next, uh, three and a half months. So this is your left or right? Left. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're a matching pair now because I broke Tib Fib in seventh grade on my right leg and got two screws out of that deal. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. And it's funny. It's kind of a funny uh, story. My dad had a heart procedure done recently, and I was in the hospital, and this it was a uh, this dude was in there, a nurse, and he kept looking at my legs. I was wearing shorts and I had the scars from the surgery. He kept looking at it, and I'm like, he's like, if you don't mind me asking, what's the story with that? I'm like, well. <laughs> I got in a, I got, I was on a motorcycle and I got in a fight with a tree and I lost. And he's like, really? And I'm like, oh, here comes the motorcycles are dangerous story. And he goes, I was on a motorcycle. And I got a fight with a Hyundai Sonata and lost. And he pulls up his right leg and he got the same exact procedure. Yeah. Steel rod. And he's like, don't worry about it. In eight months, you'll be running marathons. I'm like, well, that's great. Cause I don't run. So <laughs> no loss there. That's, that's funny. Uh, I'm going to comment on this because it's relevant in this case that the, I still have the screws to this day. They were potentially going to take them out, but they said I had no issues with them over time. Uh, I don't know if it's bone growth or what it is. Um, different motorcycle boots have caused some issues that the points of the screws actually protrude from the bone or the bone has grown over them in a way that it, uh, it irritates the skin a little bit. So there's a, there's a break in period. And then there's a break me in period <laughs> for certain <laughs> off-road boots for my right leg. So, I hope you don't experience that because it hurts for about a week. <laughs> well, they were when I first started uh, to weight bear on because that's anybody that's broken a bone they know that weight bearing is is priority. That stimulates bone bone growth and keeps yeah. your muscles active. So first started putting weight bearing on it and I started overdoing it and I had an X ray done. And they're like, hey, you're gonna you're gonna start bending these screws and you're gonna break them. You don't want to do that. Yeah, and I'm like, okay. So I had to back it down from there. And then I asked about having them removed and they said, if it's not bothering you, don't worry about it. If, right. if it does, it's an out. I mean, literally just pain shot and we'll, we'll take them out right here. And I'm like, I'm okay. I just was curious. Like they're not bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I sat most of the summer out and I kept, uh, 
I kept promising myself that I'd make it to the next round. You know, I kept pushing that agenda in my head of making it to the next round because, and I knew I probably wasn't going to, but I wanted to keep pushing the urgency of recovery to myself, yeah. you know, and I felt like I was letting people down because I was like, Hey, I'm going to be there. And then I wasn't, but it's like, it, it, that wasn't really the goal. The goal was just, we have a priority and that priority is, is not, is, is recovery. I mean, it's just, getting to a point where this is, doesn't even come to mind when you get out of bed in the morning and yeah. you, you get on the bike again. And uh, so like Red, Red River Scramble is a really good example of that I was walking and I was moving, but I had no strength in my left leg. I had no confidence in it. And I tried loading yeah. the bike up on a trailer and I'm like, I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to mess my, I can't do this. Like I just, as much as I really wanted to be there, I just, it was too much at the time. That was that was probably a good call on your part uh, for myriad of reasons. Obviously, Red River Scramble can be a completely lax, laid-back event if you want. If you like to make dumb decisions, we can help you with that. And so it's probably better that you decided, you know what, let's not make dumb decisions. <laughs> yeah, like, yes, we enable you at Red River Scramble to yeah, do I those saw, things. I saw the Instagram stuff, and I'm like, those are my friends. I would be there with them. I <laughs> yes. had no business being there because I know I wouldn't just yes. sit back. Like, I would be there. So, yeah, it was, it was a bummer. I was pretty – pretty salty about that for a bit but it was like you said it was the right decision because it enabled me to recover correctly faster by just taking my time with it um i was gonna say something else i lost my train of thought i'm assuming you were talking about um you know w waiting it out and taking it easy and yeah worried that you were gonna you know disappoint people and think smart a, a good analogy for that i mean it the same kind of idea applies to the recovery as it does just the adventure bikes in the woods thing is I was talking to a friend of mine and her dad mentioned like, it's not necessarily like a rabbit on a stick analogy, getting the carrot or not a rabbit on a stick, a carrot on a stick. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Getting ahead of myself. So the analogy is, you know, you're chasing the carrot on a stick. It's not important about getting the carrot. It's what's important is the chase. So yeah. like recovery was that carrot on a stick at the time. And then riding adventure bikes in the woods, doing kicks, you are cross country. It's not about, the success of like your ride it's about learning what you can to get better at it it's continuous it's just constant chase because every time you're like oh i got this i got this figured out i'm golden you realize that that expands upon 10 other things yep that really just i mean it just continues to build and that's that's what really i think honestly what really drives me to racing adventure bikes is is not that it's going to be the super cool sexy thing where next thing you know i'm gonna be at dakar it's just there's so much to learn and you're the people, you know, you and your friends are the ones doing the learning of it. You're setting the new, you're figuring it out. It Follow that up with some examples because I, I love that sentiment and I could talk about it forever. So please tell me, tell me some examples of how you've, you've felt that personally and some of the things you've learned. Well, and you know, like you watch a YouTube video and say, oh, you need to do this writing technique and you need to do this, and you need to do this and you start practicing them and at first it's really complicated. It's really clunky. You don't really know what you're doing. Like you don't know if your form is actually correct. And then you just, you just kind of start putting it to muscle memory, muscle memory. You try to, you know, you're like, this is going to be, this is my default position. This is my, this is my resting position. This is my normal, like where I'm going to be. As soon as I get done doing something, this is where I, I come back to. And like in regards to body position or something, and then you start racing the woods and you get tired. And you pick up the bike for the third time, you get back on the bike and all of a sudden you're in that natural position where you're supposed to be, you're riding an aggressive riding position and you realize it's starting to stick. Um, yeah. You start 
riding, you know, you start with a little log and you ride the bike over the little log. Because, for example, the first time I took a motorcycle over a log was exactly one year before I took a adventure bike to the GNCC. And I was able to complete mm-hmm. a lap in a GNCC. And it's just, it's just continually chasing a carrot. Like, if I had gone to the GNCC first, obviously I wouldn't have made it. Like, I would just, it just wouldn't have been good. Um, but having that little, those little victories and those little goals of learning these little techniques here and there adds up to it, uh, at least a, a, uh, what's a good word for it? A I mean, it's culmination. Yeah. Culmination or yeah. compliant writing can, technique that there's tons of room for improvement. You look at Chris Birch, Tony Bow, Paul yeah. Taris, there's so much room for improvement, but you're actually able to do 80% of what you're really wanting to do on the first try. Yeah. So it's it's just like that learning curve. It's and finding out what works and doesn't work, yeah. really. And then like it's cool because you're like, oh, that doesn't work. That just that technique doesn't work at all. And then you come back six months later and you try it again. And you're like, oh, this actually does work because I've done these other things that lead up to that that enable yeah. this other technique to work. So I, I'm gonna tie into that. I don't want to hijack your sentiment, so do not forget what your next point was. It, I want to add that to, I think there's potentially people in the crowd listening that are not necessarily super adventure people, but I want to express why it's so addictive. Um, for example, it, if you and I've talked about the scrambler, the scrambler as it stands today is incrementally been built since I bought it in 2016. Like it's been a long journey to get there. So similar to what you're saying, not just building the bike, but building the skills I've learned because I tend to dive headlong into this crazy stuff also, as you've described (laughs) (laughs) that because I have no kids, I can spend hours doing it. And a lot of people don't get there. So you lose friends because they're not interested in some this, that, and the other. And so I wanted to talk about that, that what's great about adventure riding and getting into the off-road piece is, is that it's like the bar through nature just is always higher. Like it's very easy to constantly raise the bar with that piece. So constantly staying in the evolution, the way that you're describing keeps you from burning out on a certain segment of riding or a certain motorcycle and that kind of thing. Like it's important to keep, keep having goals in the far end and keep letting the bar progress over time rather than reaching the top and going, okay, what now? Um, because you reach a depression actually after that happens. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a really, I like that because yeah, when I started riding, I'm like, if I could ride a bike confidently through gravel, I'll be, I'll be a happy adventure bike rider. And then I started doing that. I'm like, actually, if I could, if I could hit these little logs, right. I'll be a happy adventure bike rider. And if I could, if I could do this rock section, I'll be a happy. And it just, it just continues yeah. like, Oh, I'm comfortable here. What if I try that? And I learn how to do that. And you just, you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. It's not even just, like you said, it's not just off-road. I throw a different set of wheels on, and I can go to Tail of the Dragon, touch foot pegs off in the corners. Right. And that's a totally different thrill, a wild thrill. Like you, get on, you really start getting into cornering on asphalt, yeah. and you realize how good good brakes feel. <laughs> yeah. like you know if you get that's the thrill yeah. like if you're on asphalt like i'm coming into this corner and i i really have to be on my brakes like i have to work my brakes right to make this corner not i just need more throttle so like it's totally different riding disciplines but the adventure bike platform lets you do all of it yeah that's one of the things that really drives me to it yeah i'm not going to go to a track day and keep up with gs you know jixer 1000s but i'm certainly going to be able to ride above my skill level at a track day on an adventure bike I and just, I can, I, go ahead. 
and I can go to the woods and get myself into a point where I got to ride at the top of my skill level on the same bike. No, I, I completely agree with that too. That, that is the glory of uh, something like the Africa twin, because it is so good on the asphalt and also so good off road. Um, I'm a big fan of T7 Africa twin, uh, the new Touring 660. I just talked about that with Mark. I just, there's so many good bikes that are, that's exactly it is they're, they're a blast on and off road. And so you're kind of missing out if you're not kind of tipping your toe in each. My, my biggest concern is, as I've talked to some friends recently, and I experienced this because I rode 365 days straight. My wife got sick. That was difficult. I had to stop that streak. And then it was like, I, I didn't know what to do. Like it was this massive, like the greatest thing that I had ever done was suddenly gone and I didn't know what to do next. And it's weird how that happens to you. If you don't stay in a cycle of progression, I, I get it. You can't always do that, but it's just important to have goals mm. and, and embrace new challenges because they're much more rewarding than, you know, only having one and then reaching it and then not knowing where to go next. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. I always, always have a carrot to chase. I mean, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's important to have a carrot. It's perfect. Uh, what do you think of the new Trans Alp? Oh um, my God. I'm, the three quarter so Africa. <laughs> yeah. Mark, Mark and I talked about it a little bit on the last episode. Um, and it's funny cause I was like, I was like so unprepared and I'm actually shockingly more prepared today, despite the fact that my week, my hair is on fire more from this week than last week when I talked to Mark <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> The official reveal has come out because I think it came out the day after we recorded that episode. So by the time everybody hears this, I'm like, oh, this is old news. Um, I'm super excited because it's my kind of bike. I like small. Uh, it's definitely my jam. I'm really disappointed, and you can appreciate this too. There's no like underbone frame that goes mm -hmm. under the engine the way that it does for the Africa Twin and the T7. That is a serious problem in my opinion. Obviously, my Scrambler has that. Your two bikes have that. To really go over, you know, giant wet concrete tubes like you mm -hmm. did and things like that, yep. or steel, whatever that thing was made out of, like to do that. And I'm like, that piece of frame really matters because I've seen Tiger 800s. All it is is a couple of rubber bushings that are bolted to the bottom of the engine pan. Um, you know, the first Red River Scramble is legendary because my buddy Ryan Wheatley, who is an absolute savage on a Versys 650, um, he hit some sandstone steps and a an exhaust flange went through the oil pan and that ruined <laughs> like the entire day. They spent the whole day JB welding that oil pan back together. And then he rode back home to Massachusetts. So they only rode on the trail for a couple hours and it was over. Yeah. You know? So but yeah, that's my, go ahead. I was like, that, that was a concern with vice versus 650. I got the nice SW Motec skid plate, but it's still just, it's right. perimeter bolted. It's not actually to a frame. Yeah, and I think it looks to me, um, especially the new Suzuki, what are they calling that? The Suzuki 800DE, the new, mm -hmm. it's the P-Strom, the which because that sounds awful, but that's really <laughs> what it is. The new Parallel Twin Strom uh, that they have, they look like they've got this big um, steel thing going on the skid plate. So I've not seen a lot of good pictures of the new Transalp. So it looks like they're kind of trying to do the same thing. So that's kind of new because the Triumph Tiger is literally just a skid plate bolted to the engine. Like, mm -hmm. it, you know, rubber bushings are absorbing everything. And that's a, you know, 450 pound bike plus rider. Like, ew, you, yeah. hit a, you hit a log the wrong way. That's not going to go well. Yeah, you got to commit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So it, like, remember, whole whole frame goes over the log. Yeah. The next thing that hits it after the front wheel is the rear wheel. You got to stay committed to that, right? 
Um, yeah, that's tough in KXCR in some places. Um, but the engine sounds good. I, I'm really worried. I don't know how much you've looked at the architecture of that engine. Um, that oil pan has this massive sump that sticks down off the bottom of it. It's like a giant spike. Mm-hmm. That scares the crap out of me. They keep showing these right side photos because you can't see it because the exhaust hides it. It's in the left side. So if you see a left side photo, you see this giant spike that comes down off the bottom. It's this oil sump. Man, that freaks me out. So like I said, I hope I hope the skid plate makes it. But 2118, whereas the Suzuki is 2117, so I like 2118 better. It's 458 pounds, I think, instead of 504 pounds, which is the new Suzuki is. So the Honda's got it there. Uh, no cruise control and no tubeless tires, which a lot of people are complaining about, but I'm happy about that. Yeah, that means it's going to be cheap. I think it's going to yeah. undercut the T7. Um, yeah, it's... What is it? Seven point eight inches of suspension travel, or is it eight point seven, something like that? It's under. It's under nine. Don't quote me on that. Somebody's shouting at their radio right now, like Drew, you're an idiot. <laughs> um, something like that. So that's. I mean, it's well beyond my scrambler's capability. So I'm excited about it. So definitely, you're gonna retire the scrambler. <laughs> under no circumstances how dare you i will throw you off this podcast right now i will be buried with that <laughs> the scrambler is going to retire you <laughs> uh that is much more likely to happen you got 88 what 82 83 this week i rode it wow. work a couple days this week and i'm like god damn i love this motorcycle <laughs> you haven't you haven't put a borescope or anything down the, down the spark plug hole no just, it's just it's just good as gold no idea what's going on. I've, <laughs> I've adjusted the valves. Um, and I admit that there have been some vibration issues or increased vibration that I feel in the seat that started happening around 60, 70,000 miles. Oh, that's plenty but, of time ago. If it didn't blow up then, it's not blowing it, up now. Yeah. So. <laughs> she's lived a hard life. I, there's just no way around it, right? Like, you know, she's she's now raced. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep but I, I that's still my favorite bike it, it, every bike in the garage will leave before that one does mm-hmm. so that's just a statistical fact people are like why don't you sell it like you said you know sell it and buy a, a t7 because you know that's the bike you need i'm like i can't i something about that machine we're tied together now there's yeah no you have to start the whole journey over again because you get the you get the t7 and then you got to make it yours well Man, I want to do that. There's no question about that. Um, it, it to me, I think it's probably similar to the way that you. I assume you see your Goldwing. Like, I've built that bike over years, and it is built for exactly me. There's that bike is not the right bike for anybody but me. I've done, as you've said, I've broken things, I've modified things, I've made it fit me, and it, and I'm a quirky person that falls in love with the character of a machine. I will forgive so many faults because, you know, it, it has character. The, the new Harley I bought, same thing. Never never in my wildest dreams do what I imagine I would like that Harley as much as I do. And I'm like, no, it's a fat turd with a whole bunch of character. And I love <laughs> riding it to work. 
love it. Two wheeled Americana. (laughs) (laughs) It's similar to the same thing. The vibration that started happening in the scrambler was a little bit irritating to me, but in general, just, you know, you've heard that exhaust. I mean, it's just loud. It was funny because the first race we did, I'm like, you go by and then I go by and I'm like in ghost mode. I sound like, I sound like a a Vespa and I'm like, it's a thousand CC parallel twin, but it might as well be a Vespa. And I'm like, okay, we got to do something about that. So I put on like this cheap Amazon slip on. It's basically straight pipe. I'm like, it's loud now. And then he fires his bike up. I'm like, it's still a Vespa. Why? (laughs) How did that happen? First, I want to say that that exhaust on your AT sounds amazing. The AT's engine is probably my number two pick on exhaust sound after the Scrambler. Obviously, I'm biased, but I absolutely (laughs) love the AT. The AT's engine is so good. If they induced a little vibration into that engine on purpose, it would probably be unbeatable. Well, it might be possible because on both ends of the crank is a counterweight. Yeah. So if you just take one of those counterweights out and shave off a little bit, there you go. Right. Just take it out of balance. (laughs) It'll be fine. Um, Yeah. It won't hurt the bearings at all. No, 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 no. no. Just don't go go above 6,000. You'll be fine. Yeah, I would never do that. (laughs) So kind of go back to the Goldwing thing. You know why I keep – the Goldwing. There's one reason why I keep the Goldwing because it's it's not for the ride quality because the brakes are wooden. The oh, fact yeah. I didn't die on that is amazing because the brakes are <laughs> awful. The clutch is like a 30 pound lever pull. I don't know how I managed to pull the clutch every single time I did. The steering Oof. is heavier than a than a, a truck, and it had like 80 some horsepower, so it had plenty of drive. It's just you couldn't turn it, you couldn't stop it. <laughs> Um, as long as it ge- goes a straight line. <laughs> yeah, the gearbox is like 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 breaking branches. Like you really had to to be deliberate and mean the gear shift to get it to go. But the reason I keep it is because they make a supercharger kit for it. Oh God! And that would be just <laughs> the coolest thing to have a blown motorcycle. <laughs> yes. Like, someday I'm going to have a supercharged Goldwing that's going to be more like scrambler than anything is is it monoshock i know nothing no it's it's not monoshock but the old africa twin rear shock is going to be its new shock that's that's what i was thinking i was like i if i were you yeah i would put a different front end on that oh yeah like i said put the supercharger on it make sure the rear shock is good and go nuts absolutely because i took the front forks apart and like oh okay you just put it back together it's bushing it's a very simple fork setup so that was the first forks i did i put it together and i put like straight 30 weight oil in it it might as well be concrete in those in those forks (laughs) because and i didn't know i was like oh i just put a straight weight oil in it and you're good no that's that's a stiff front end and then the rear shocks yeah. are for a full dress Goldwing, which yeah. this one was not. So it was 300 pounds lighter than it should have been for the shocks. So the rear shocks are oversprung like crazy. It's a rigid. Oh, it's rigid. Yeah, I remember <laughs> like hitting railroad tracks. I come off the seat entirely and I come back down. I'm like, oh, this is normal. No, that's not normal. That's that's not a good bike. <laughs> Unfortunately, scrambler owners out there will understand what you're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Because that is a normal function occasionally on, a, <laughs> on, a, on an air-cooled Bonneville model. That, yeah. Yeah. Those stock shocks are shit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you you definitely need to do that with the gold wing. That's for sure. So yeah, I, we, I call, uh, call it the Gur wing. <laughs> yeah, well, is is it a eleven hundred flat four? Yeah, so it's it's not. They call it a boxer, but it's not a true boxer. If you really want to get into it, it's a flat four or a hundred and eighty degree V. That's another Why? terminology. Has Why to, is it not a boxer? It has to do with the position of the pistons relative to each other. I don't mm-hmm. know enough. I just know that 
some people get really uh, excited about that. And uh, it's not a boxer. It's a flat four a hundred eighty or a one hundred eighty degree V engine. But yeah, it's a it's a four cylinder flat. It's, uh, <laughs> the first bike show I went up to, it was like a Harley show, and this guy comes up to me. He looks at me, and I'm thinking this guy's gonna ask me if it's a BMW. And he looks at me, and he goes, "What kind of Harley is that?" And I'm like, "It's not a Harley." <laughs> wow. it's, yeah, I didn't, wasn't expecting that one. Um, I'm I'm I. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast. I've talked about it with friends. I, I have this weird inclination to get an 1100 flat four naked. Like I, I want to cafe a yes, gold wing. They look so naked. Good. Yes. They're gorgeous. We've so, seen several at garage brew. They're really hot. Yeah. Yeah. That was really what I was going to throw the parts away or sell it. But then I saw some stuff come up on Google and I'm like, dude, that would be a cool bike. Um, and actually what I found out is the next year engine, so from 83 to 80-something, I can't remember off the top of my head anymore, but it's a 1200, and it's the same casings. So you put a 1200 mm. in wherever you could fit a, a 1,000, 1100, or a 12. But the real kicker is if I could get a 1,000 engine casings, bore it out to 1,200, put the 1,200 rotating assembly in it, you get a kickstart option, <laughs> which would just be cool to have on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that is a, that is a weird thing. Uh, that is a selling point on the Ural for me. And I pray they don't remove that. I should probably look that up. Some, some Ural followers probably scream at the podcast about that right now. I don't know, but that was a standard feature. And, and, and I was insistent upon that because when I ever get one, it's going to be like, no, this is my winter car. Like, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it. There's so, a guy around yeah. me that drives a Ural, a Ural with the sidecar. And I'm like, every time I see it, I'm like, that guy's cool. He could be my friend. He was, he's bundled up as, as all get out. He rides it all winter, but that'd be cool. It, so I bought a car today. Yeah. Um, and I hated that because I generally don't like cars. Um, and that was it. Like, this is paining me because I could go buy a Ural right now. <laughs> and this is the first time in a really long time where you could probably buy a Ural cheaper than a car, even though Urals are quite expensive these days. I'm like, yeah. I would be much happier financing a portion of a Ural than buying a car right now. I would have to live outside because my wife would be really pissed. <laughs> but yes, it pains me to buy a car because I would much rather just have a Ural and ride that through the winter. Get, what get sold a, you, I would have sold you my Dodge Durango. Ah, uh, man. man <laughs> I wouldn't sell you that. Should, <laughs> I was we should talk yeah, about that. It's, uh, I feel like it's more of a ticking time bomb than an asset. But that's a different conversation. Uh, yeah, you're right. That covers the used market totally now. But this is a motorcycle podcast, yeah. so um, do please. I love the, uh, the 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 rabbit hole we took about the Transalp, and maybe we should return to that. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the rest of the season because you did finally get healed up after all that mess and did return to it. And I imagine that that was an interesting experience. Oh, it was it was a, a wonderful. It was a, probably the best time I've been I've had out on a track. So uh two weeks three weeks before okay i've been riding for about a month prior to the race but i didn't have any strength in my left leg so literally i would get on the bike over the right side when the bike's on the side stand yeah allison would push me off my kickstand and kick my kickstand up for me and i'd be able to ride i couldn't put i couldn't like come to a stop sign and catch myself on my left leg like yeah, i always had sketchy. to be on the right side yeah but i was riding i was like oh this is great side note 
it's amazing how even more like you can prep yourself. Like I'm going to get on the bike. Everything's fine. It was just an accident. It's no big deal. You get on the bike and your nerves are 110% and everything takes precedent. Like your brain's trying to figure out every single little movement and bump and it takes time to settle back out. I was really, I was actually shocked at how nervous I was to ride again. Describe like what you're thinking, what you're feeling, like yeah. Like so a, an instance, like it, tell the listeners what that's like. Okay, so like before the accident, when I'm comfortable on a bike, everything's normal. Life is normal. I'd ride up and down the hill, like at my property in second gear, and there's a couple like uh, shallow spots where you completely launch the bike and you're crashing through your like you're crashing through the suspension, and you're just the bike is working underneath of you. And I get back on the bike and I start just riding the yard real slow just feeling it. And all of a sudden, like the engine vibrations are, are you're, you're checking to see if that's normal, if that's okay. You're constantly, you're really twitchy on the throttle. You're, you're hyper-focused on your clutch movement and you're trying to like understand why your suspension is moving so much underneath of you and why the handlebars kick back and forth all this time. And it's, it's just normal, but you're still like, your brain's hyperactive because it doesn't want, like in my, in my opinion, my brain doesn't want to repeat what it was, what had happened to it. Mm-hmm. But it's your mind knows that you're safe because you're just riding around in the grass, but your brain doesn't know that it's safe. So you're training your brain with your mind to relax and take a breather and just focus on the key parts. Um, And that's actually a a good kind of caveat. When you first start getting into off-road or anything new, really, but in in this example, off-road riding, your brain is working 250% and it is exhausting. (laughs) Your your brain, and there's been studies about it, your brain will understand what is actually important information and get rid of everything else. And that just takes time. That's why people, like, if you come out to a race or you come out to do anything new and you don't do well at it because you're you're, you're just in your head real bad, you literally just have to take a break and come back to it with a fresh mind and start training your brain to just pick the important pieces out. Because at first, everything's important, but it's actually, everything isn't important. A few things are important. And, and that's kind of like that come back to like the, the injury. That's really what my brain was trying to figure out. I was like, Oh, we're back to normal. <laughs> so like, we're good. So actual off-road riding, I probably had 30 or 40 minutes in before I came back to the race since I broke that's, my leg. That's beautiful. I, uh, I crashed in the spring of 2019 on the pavement. Uh, I hit a patch of black ice. I never saw it on my 250L. And I don't think that I hit maximum pavement capacity until Red River Scramble this year. So that's a great point. Because mm-hmm. all of everything you said was the kind of stuff that was happening. When I was yeah. on the asphalt, I was in my head, like yep. afraid to tip the bike over, afraid to commit to the corner, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. You, that's awesome reflection on your part. Yeah, so it's like you. your mind wants to do the cool stuff. Your mind is like the, the action that you want to see happen and your brain is self-preservation. Yeah. And it's, it's a balancing act between the two. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So, so you get back on the bike and you're fighting through that. Yep. And I'm getting comfortable. Like I'm riding the trails at pretty good speed. Like everything, everything's kind of settled and I feel, I feel good. And I'm looked, watching it's, it's like three or four days before round seven. I'm watching the weather and I'm like, it's 50, 50. If it's, <laughs> if it's, if it rains, I'll come say hi. And that'll be, that'll be that. If it's dry, I'm going to go and get one lap in. My goal for this year is one lap. And it's not for the points. It's not for anything other than proving to myself that I'm back. 
everything's yeah. going to be okay over the winter and we'll be able to reattack everything in, in the spring. And round seven was a ton of fun because it was dry. And I remember like we come up the we come off the line and I'm nervous. I'm in my head. I'm nervous. And oh, yeah. I'm like, I just like the first jump, I, I basically roll it because I haven't jumped the bike yet. I don't know how it feels on my left leg or anything, but I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do what I can do. Like I, I need, I need this for myself. So I just, I just need to get in the woods and start problem solving. And we go through the first hill climb. I'm nervous. I'm feeling the bike out through the, the, through the hill climb. I, I start coming down the, the descent off to the first hill climb after the first, after the start. And I realized I'm smiling already and I'm having, like, I'm having fun. Like, this is nothing. Like, this is just a fun trip in out on the track riding trail. That's all it is. Yeah. And after that, it was great until I got to the rocks. I, str- yeah. I struggled on the rocks. And I got back in my head. And I wasn't trusting, you know, it wasn't more like I didn't trust the bike. It was more if I had to catch myself hard on my left side, I, yep. I just, I wanted to avoid that situation because I knew that it wasn't a hundred percent yet. So yeah, I babied it, which was a lot of work. At that point, you're wrestling the bike. I, I wrestled the bike over the rocks, got out and that gassed me out, took a bunch of time, but went back in the woods and was back to having fun, came through and went through the rocks faster this time. And that's when I, I was, that was lap two. And that's when I decided that's a really good comeback. I exceeded my own expectations yeah. and I still feel good. I'm starting to get some pain in the left leg. No, no sense in overdoing it. That'll be, that'll be, that's, that's a good return. And I was very happy with it. So it's let, I want to tie into the listeners so they can picture that situation. So off the start, we make this big wide left-hand turn and at KXCR, they actually took a skid loader and they scooped out a nice little launch ramp. So after you get through the main pinch, after the, the whole shot there, you got to, you know, make that wide left, that fast wide left, and then hit that jump. Um, so that was the jump that you were talking about rolling. And then it was a, you know, wonderful end of the hill to collapse to single track and then back down. And fortunately, the kids have cleared off all the leaves for us in the morning. So it was, <laughs> yep. I was really worried about that. I was like, dude, double riding this big bike in the leaves. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a bad not day. something we want to do today. Yep. Um, but you're right. They did that. And then you and I had talked in text after the fact. I want to talk about the rocks is important. So KXCR loves to do an enduro section, like right toward the the timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's twofold because then you get all the people that want to sit around and watch the race, but don't want to venture too far in the woods because they don't know where the track's going to go. They get a chance to watch the action right up close. And also it slows down the racers as they come into timing. Cause that's important. They don't want people racing right up to the timing um, recording. So that way people come through single file and everybody gets counted as their laps or whatnot. So this, the famous tube that we were talking about earlier yep. is the entrance. <laughs> and then there's this long rock field, which means the suspension is totally screwed. Like as soon as you go over that, your suspension's already pissed. And now you <laughs> you have to go through this rock section. Yeah. It was I got my ass whooped on the scrambler all except I think the last time I went through, I managed to clean it without stopping whatever. And And to your credit, I almost dumped the scrambler on the third lap, the worst ever. I barely <laughs> saved that thing. So I understand what you're saying. Like, save that left foot. Like, yeah, I about ate shit in the rocks. And had I dented that tank, I would have been furious. Yeah, I, I remember before the race started, so the kids go, like the 8 o'clock race goes. And I'm watching. They've cut this nice, very predictable path through the rocks. And I'm like, there you go. I got a line. Easy peasy. And then right before we go... 
I think it was Derek in the skid steer. Oh yeah. And he's smiling and talking to you. And I'm like, I didn't put two and two together until I realized he'd stirred all that up. And I'm like, yes. well, there goes my line. <laughs> so now that's, that's their jam. Um, and on a dirt bike, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. On the big bike, it's like, whew, well, that's a, that's a new degree of challenge. Well, well even then, like I wasn't mad about it. I wasn't like, Oh no, my yeah. line, that's a bummer. And I was like, okay, I just, it's just back to problem solving. What I yeah. don't want to see and I think you would agree with this is I don't want to see special ADV only cater type. The track is a track. Like if everyone else, if the kids go through this section and the novice yeah. and the amateurs go through this section, the big bikes go through that section, you know, maybe not a pro I, line per se, but yeah, I got, man, I got to sit back and think about that. So now you've, you've really launched a really awesome conversation at the end here. Um, what is appropriate for adventure class like how do you you know obviously i've raced um on the same track the pros have last season because it was separate from what they sent c-class on Mm -hmm. Um, so we got harder stuff and i'm like yeah paul terrace can do this on an adventure bike i don't have a chance (laughs) (laughs) Like, like no there's no way so that that is a good question like how do you define what is adventure appropriate? That's a good point. I like your perspective for sure, but uh, there's no doubt I've done stuff in the in the P, PM race on the 350 that I'm like, yeah, scrambler would never would have made it here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, good question. So compared to what you've done, all seven right this year on the scrambler, do you, do you mm. six? No. So um, I had to work. Um, I think we talked about it before. I I was the team manager for the race team this year for KXCR, so I was technically a KXCR employee. Um, and th- we had to shoot a video, <clears throat> excuse me, on round three. So I missed racing round three and I feel bad because a, g- a guy came out on his 1200 scrambler and that would have been a great opportunity to get scrambler on scrambler and everything else. Um, weather was awful. It was going to be miserable. Um, I would have been, you know, same perspective. You would have been like, okay, if we're going to get one lap, um, he came up from someplace and, and had a rough time. And I don't know if he, uh, I don't even know if he's still riding the scrambler or not. I heard some rumors he may have moved on to something else. So that's unfortunate. Um, but he came out for that. So we had a new guy there for a hot bit. And then round four, I was all set to go. And then I got COVID at like the last minute. And I was like, I could probably health-wise actually race, but that would be just disrespectful yeah, to all the yeah, people here. Yeah, there's a, there's so a big, I didn't go. Bigger picture. There, there. And it, it sucks too, because round three was at the holler and I've raced the holler in the rain. Obviously you and I both did. Um, that's clay city. And, but the next one was Russell Creek and Russell Creek is like my second favorite track all season. Um, so, and that sucks for you too, because that was the closest race to you all season and you were hurt. So neither of us went there. And so no adventure bikes showed up for round four. Um, so then I raced round five and six back to back at, at uh, three cat mountain, which were very different races, um, similar to your two, you know, a mudder versus a really dirt dry, um, three cat wasn't super wet, but wet enough for round five. And then round six was a dusty mess, which was actually worse than clay city was. And then clay city was dry and a little dusty, but nothing like normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I got what I get five races. Yeah. Five races, four finishes this season for me. So was uh, the first round of the three cat, was that super slick? It rained, man, I wish I could remember now. It kind of rained a little bit enough before the the couple days and it tacked up real nice. There was just a couple spots where it was a little wet. um, And they, man, it's a track that I've ridden several times. And I, and I knew 
even if it rained, go. Um, because of all of the KXCR races we do all season, three cat dries out the fastest because the vast majority of the track is on top of the mountain. Like it's, you know, it runs the crest of the top of the mountain. You go down into the valleys a couple times, but it's not like clay city where it doesn't matter where it rains. It's, it's clay for something about the rockiness in three cat. It dries out quickly. Um, but they do have a gnarly hill climb where the ledges as, as people race it, the rock ledges become exposed. Mm. And so if you don't hit them right, you get stuck. And that was, you probably saw that video on Instagram that it was like, I came around the corner on the first lap and, you know, every beginner you could imagine was stuck on that hill. And it was only a matter of time before I got stuck too. And then the battery died on the scrambler on the hill. (laughs) And I was like, I guess I'm going to the bottom, even though I don't want to. And I'm hitting this again. So that that started on the way down. Seven-year-old battery? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. But I was like that battery, I mean, that's infamous. I mean, you and I talked about racing or uh, riding 365 straight days. Mm-hmm. That battery is the battery that went into the bike when my 365 street got broken the first time. So that bike ran 365 days straight plus lived in that scrambler for years. Um, but that it is funny to me that that streak was broken by the previous battery. Well, previous battery plus it was actually an electrical problem that killed it um but the premise is the same it was a new battery from then so when i started to go back for it and do the math yeah she's done i see you later another interesting thought i've had and i've thought about it a few times um bringing an adventure bike to kxcr yeah you're like you're doing it in front of people and it's an event and people are there right doing things competitively but it's also probably one of the smartest places to try and push your limits because there's plenty of people to help you out. You're never going to be yeah. on a trail by yourself. Like I can't think that I, I don't know his name. He was a track sweep round two. He was always there making sure that like I was going to get off the track safely. He didn't go, Oh, are you all right? And then take off and leave me picking my bike up. Like he made sure that I was all right. And that's, that's probably what, James or Nathan. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys are there a lot and they're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. They're just huge because like, you're not, you're not doing it by yourself. And if you get hurt, the correct experienced people are close when you need them to be close. So that's a huge, that's a huge point too. Is like, Oh, I don't want to, I, I don't want to know if I want to go to a race because you know, I'm going to be in the way. I'm probably going to get hurt. Probably going to break my bike. Well, they're, they're all possible, but if you're going to put yourself in a situation because it's something that's exciting, that's a good place to be because you're not going to be by yourself. That that is an interesting thing, and I can't. I as a guy who's a you know kind of a quasi marketing dude, I can't believe I hadn't thought about that. Is that's you're right. Uh, I mean, we were talking about it, me helping you in round two to get through that obstacle without sliding into you know my bike and getting stuck. Um, Nathan literally had to help me pick up a 500 pound bike and lift it mm-hmm. out of that rut to get it out. Like there was no other way out of it. Like I mean, so. Because that's been my biggest fear. That's why I bought my Husky was because I sunk my 250L down to the pegs and was like, I can't race if I'm getting stuck in these ruts. And there was the scrambler in the same position. So you're right. Having those guys there is a huge perk. Then, yeah, if you broke a leg or did whatever, you know, somebody's there rapidly to to help you. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. I mean, you came across that kid that had gotten stuck under his bike on the hill climb. <laughs> 
you helped him <laughs> like that he needed you and you were there the friendly neighborhood that, adv guy <laughs> <laughs> that i i didn't know how to share that on instagram that it was like it wasn't meant to be like self-righteous but it was one of those weird things that it was like ADV racing is very different. So it was one of those weird, like I was riding and while the bike is loud, I'm going slow enough because of the terrain that you hear things. Like Mm -hmm. I hear all the racers behind me and I just move out of the way and I let them go by. Mm -hmm. I heard that kid yelling in the woods on the way up and it freaked me out. Like, Oh oh God. You don't know where you come across. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, somebody's hurt. Like, this is not good. And I'm like, man, I hope there's a, you know, a track sweep or a parent or whatever it is. So I lucked out that I, because people also don't know, it's pretty common about the kickstand. I tie up the kickstand on the scrambler. I broke the spring at uh train with the pros when we were talking about earlier. So I tie it up every race to make sure that it doesn't come down by accident while racing and break the spring, or I still have the kill switch engaged and all that stuff. So I just park it against the tree. And, uh, yeah, he was just stuck under his bike. He was fine, but he was just like totally stuck. Apparently other racers have been by and they're racing and they're just like, you know, yeah, because racing. He, so he was stuck. halfway up the hill climb. So they're already <laughs> in momentum. Like, okay, this is my line. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it, as I said, that's always been my biggest fear. And if anybody watched the YouTube video, I, I narrated our first race together, you know, it was like 45 minutes. I cut out a couple small parts, but just talked about, it. but yeah, that's my biggest fear is I don't want to hurt one of these kids mm-hmm. doing what I think is, you know, quasi silly. Um, so when I heard him, obviously it's like, I'm gonna park the bike and run up here. It turns out that's the son of my buddy, Barry, who was like my biggest (laughs) C-class rival when I first started racing, we became friends because him and I always finished, you know, seven and eight, eight, nine, Mm -hmm. you know, six and seven. Like it was, we were always next to each other. So we became friends. I had no idea that was his kid. Like it was just one of those things, you know, it's just somebody else on a dirt bike and a helmet in the woods. And it turns out that's his kid. So he comments to me, he's like, dude, I'm so glad that you came out and helped him out. He's like, everybody, you know, just yep. went by and yep. said, yeah, I don't know. Like, Hey, that's <laughs> just the way the universe works, man. <laughs> so yeah, it's chestnut checkers, man. Yep. And the other, the, another factor too, is like, you don't want to, you don't want to come to a race because you know, you're slow and you don't want to be in the way. Well, you're really not in the way most, unless you t- take the bike, lay it on its side and turn it sideways across a choke point. You're not in the way. The key that I have yeah. found is people are going to come up behind you, be predictable, hold a line mm-hmm. and just, it's just either if you can get out of the way, you get out of the way, or you just hold the line and be predictable. And as long as you maintain a predictable speed and route, people will go around you just fine. That's never been an issue for me. Yeah. It's, I agree with you that, as you said earlier, like the biggest thing about riding a dirt bike successfully is becoming comfortable with everything that's happening and relaxing. Um, and eventually once you've been to, let's call it two races, you know, other bikes that are coming. Like I know Mm -hmm. when the pros are passing me, like I hear them so far away. That's like, Oh, the big boys are coming, which means I need to get over sooner. Like these guys are collecting paychecks. I'm going to let them go by like that thing. So you get used to that. No, that's exactly it. Is that, yeah, be predictable and slide over. It's, uh, I, I do think people are intimidated by that initially. Um, and you, you missed out on some this season, but needless to say, um, 
us big bikes are recognizable to everyone there. <laughs> and, and since I take pictures in the afternoon and ride the bike with the teeth on it, everybody knows my name. So I just get, I get thanked by handfuls of riders. They're like, thanks Drew. And they just keep riding. Yeah. By. Like, Don't worry. I will catch you on the hill climb later. Thank you. <laughs> Rocks all the stuff there. So what, um, what do you got on the horizon? What's the what's the carrot that you have for twenty twenty three, man? A full season, man. I know, it's a it's it's a short carrot. I'll I'll grow that 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 stick that it's on here. Oh, it's, I, that's not short. I my response is uh, yeah, racing adventure bikes is an undertaking. It was, it was kind of it's kind of funny because I was sitting around like I said I was sitting around the fire and I'm like I'm going to do this KXCR season and I remember looking at Allison and she's like the whole season I'm like yes. I'm going to do the whole season, whatever it takes. Like yeah. I just, I've never raced the whole season. I've never really yeah. honestly raced too much like that. If I, it better now than never, because you can always push it and push it and push it. And it's like, I don't want to keep pushing it. I want to do it. Even if I'm not good at it, I want to do it. And that's, yeah. that's another thing too. Is like, you don't have to be good at this. You just have to show up and try problem solve. It's problem solving. And you'll, you'll be amazed at how much sticks so quickly from one, one event to the next. You know, like, yeah, yeah, you can't be Paul Torres, but like you can be here doing it. So. It, I mean, I think um, for anybody who follows MotoGP, especially um, Valentino Rossi, uh, there are others. They don't win because they get first place every race. They win because they show up every round. You know, Valentino Rossi was 40 ish, mm-hmm. 41, 40 when he retired. He, you don't get to 40 in MotoGP because you get podiums all the time. You get that age and stay in pro level because you finish mm-hmm. races. That's yeah. really what it comes down to. So that's it is you're going to meet other people that are faster than you, but just showing up every weekend. I mean, I got fourth last year in KXCR and open B and it was mostly because I got two second place finishes simply because nobody else showed up. They all stayed home because of the weather or whatever else it was that was going on. Like, yeah, that, that matters. Yep. Yeah. So, good call. For sure. I, and nobody, no one raced the entire season this year. So what you just said to me is still an undertaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the goal for next year. And as I also have been talking to Andy and wanting to do a Tennessee based, uh, like a train with the pros, but it's, it's just yes. a, moto, a, a training camp at, at the grounds that I have and developing that into, uh, into something viable for adventure bike riders. They come out and they can practice specific skill sets. They can practice the rocks. They can practice logs. They can practice trail riding. And, you know, yeah. they had the whole weekend basically to do it on the, on the property all weekend. That's a goal of mine. This- your place? My or place. Yeah. Some- Cause I got uh, seven oh, acres. Do not threaten me with a good time. man. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's on the horizon. We've been slowly developing and figuring out what works over time. Obviously, taking a, a break from June first to, you know, three weeks ago was not in the plans, but it's still progressing. Um, I'm also doing a series of the Coleman 200. Those little Coleman little camper bikes. Oh, yeah, man. I'm doing a, go on doing a racing series of those. I had my first race with a bunch of friends last weekend. That was so much fun. You would not believe yes. how much fun a little 212 harbor, oh, yeah. like Harbor Freight engine can, can be. Like that was that was a blast. Everybody had a good time. So I'm probably going to have about three of those races next year. Um, and it's just, it's just going to be a good time. Like that was that was fun. Oh, that's that's rock solid. Yeah, we need a 
They're doing pit bikes at KXCR now. Maybe I'll tell them we're going to have to have like lawnmower class. <laughs> <laughs> that would be epic. We could definitely get all all of the parents and moms tied into that one. The, that the, the pull start awesome. class. Yes. <laughs> yes. The pull start, the pull start division. Yes. I love it. Definitely need to do that. So hopefully, hopefully next year's. I mean, this year is exciting and very successful. I'm very happy with the way this year has gone. Um, next year, I'm, I'm hoping for more success and more happiness out of it, but it's just, it's just good to grow in the adventure bike area. I mean, yeah. Because if I look back on it, if I were to told, tell myself two years ago that I would have entered an adventure bike into a race, I'd be like, you're freaking insane. <laughs> like, no, there's, there's no way. You never would be at that point until you just do it and you're at that yeah. point. You, you just realize, like, you grow into the situations you put yourself into. And, yeah, like, I'm very happy with my with my the rate at which I've – accelerated and, and learned um looking forward to getting a lot more experience a lot more comfortable on the racing side and uh yeah i think i think next year's gonna be a good year you uh you happy with the africa twin at this stage like how you have it set up and everything did you did you come up with anything else after the last round that you want to change no no after the last round it really just kind of showed that i was it's up to me fitness is huge uh yeah obviously being couch bound for three and a half months takes a toll um yeah so cardio is rough cardio is rough yeah. um luckily i didn't have to pick up the bike at all otherwise that might that might have been it for the that it, that might have been it for the day um so fitness is is definitely on the t- the, t- the, the excuse me the to-do list and mm. uh really the bike did great i mean that was one of the things i really noticed when it was dry i was able to keep my speed and go through things i'm like i can just feel the suspension working and it works great it's just doing its job underneath me there's nothing i really wanted yeah. to change with that traction was great with the shinko 216s um carrying my speed you know mo- momentum and kind of looking further up in the trail would be the areas i need to work on so keep my speed up and look farther cuz it's really easy to look right like 20 30 feet in front of you but you really need to be looking at the end of the trail is really where you need to yeah. have your eyes so it's i really feel like the uh, the adventure bikes it sounds dumb because we don't go as fast but i do feel like you have to look every bit as far because you've got to plan stuff ahead of time so much better there are there are not typically options b c and d no the big bike it's no usually and, option a and option oh shit yeah <laughs> and you got this big tank and you got fairings on it and you look down and you can't see anything around you so you have to know what's yeah. like you have to have a plan for what where your bike's going to be because once it's to a certain point you can't see the ground anymore it's gone so like oh, you got to be in the right spot that's really where that's where that kind of comes um yeah, I mean, I'm excited. No, it's it's the way to do it. Uh, like I said, I I mentioned earlier, I get a chance to ride your bike at Train for the Pros, and I told you after that last round that there were definitely places where I was like, "Yep, wish I had that Africa trend, that Africa twin suspension because this scrambler four and a half inch, five inch shock is not doing it." You said that, and I'm like, "Yep, I wish I had the confidence Drew had to actually hit that with that speed and use it." <laughs> It's yeah that well I mean the the AT um, in my opinion uh, the, the Scrambler is a weird cheater bike in a weirdly strange way 
there's absolutely a maximum speed. There's absolutely a point where it's like, you do not go faster than that because if you do, and that actually happened to me, uh, I hit that culvert situation in a bad way and got the bars all bent up and all kinds of other stuff in that round. It was not good. Mm -hmm. Uh, But had I been on the AT, it would have been like, "Ah, just twist it a little more. It'll go over that. No big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Scrambler just pounded it. It was awful. Um, but because I can put my foot down so easily and the, the center of gravity is so low on that bike on the AT, uh, you're right. It gets away from you. Like you said, you touch the brakes and see ya. I do want to touch on the tractoring aspect real quick. So yeah. trusting the engine to tractor you up to a hill climb, like through a hill climb is, was it kind of, was it, well, it was an interesting experience because normally you're, you're in like two to five two to 6,000 RPM range, the engine just sings, it purrs, it sings. But if you're doing a hill climb and you're in the bottom of first gear, yeah, it sounds like a bucket of bolts underneath of you. <laughs> it sounds like that thing's about to grenade. It makes all kinds of ping, pop, bang noises, but it never stops. It just keeps yeah. lugging and lugging and lugging. And like, well, if you're happy, I guess I'll be happy and we'll just do this together. But if you try to keep the RPMs up and try to feather the clutch and all that, you just set yourself for failure. You just, you just tractor, you just put in all, uh, low and let it go uh, it's it, i i will shamelessly put another plug in there obviously i am on the t7 train there's no question about it i will gladly park a t7 next to my scrambler and not think twice about it however <laughs> i like the africa twin engine better than the t7 engine i think i think i can say that yeah i don't like the fact the africa twin weighs as much as it does it's a much bigger bike mm-hmm. Holy shit, that engine is everything I would want in an engine because it's it's so good on the asphalt and it's a tractor off road. Yeah, it's it's just simply it takes a little more work to work that big bike mm-hmm. versus a T seven. The T seven lets you cheat a little bit, being fifty fifty pounds lighter. Yeah, Andy let me ride his, and I'm like, I feel like I'm on a dirt bike. Like it was mm-hmm. it was amazing. I'm like, you've done so much work to get this to this point. It's, it's nuts. And, and wait till you ride a Touring 660. Uh, I personally think the chassis is even better than the T7. T7 engine, definitely better than a Touring engine for off-road. Mm-hmm. Um, but the chassis, oh, it's butter. So yeah. good. The Touring does nothing for me. I just, <laughs> I look at that and I'm like, no, I just... I'm okay. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's it is it's like Africa Twin light light. Yeah, it it you you kind of feel the color scheme and the looks kind of trying to copy off of the AT a little bit. Yeah, truth to that. They throw some extra lines in there, make it a little sharper on certain aspects. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, not my cup. Yeah. No, it's the AT is is really hard to beat. So I do I'm in a tank. I do love the 2020 and up Africa Twin body. Yes. I don't like the electronics on the 2020 and up. I don't know the price tag or the price tag. I don't like the touch screen. No. I don't, I just, if I could get the body panels to fit the, uh, my 2017, yes. I'd be, that'd, that'd be like the, the aesthetic upgrade I'd look for. But the, the black snake skin with the red. Oh, mm-hmm. so good. I would love to have one, but that's exactly it. I I'm going to end up buying like a 2017, 2018, AT if I get one at some point, that's, there's no question that, I don't need all the bells and whistles. Yeah. Cause I'm a cheap ass. <laughs> yeah. And the, I, I see Definitely the reports yeah. like, yeah, the warranty expired and the touchscreen quit working. That's $2,000. I'm like, well, that won't be my $2,000. Cause I ain't going that route. I got a phone. I don't, 
I, I've said it elsewhere. I, with a thousand dollar smartphone, that's better than anything you can put on this bike. Why are mm-hmm. you putting all this stuff on the bike? I don't, I don't understand. Just dual clocks, please. Thank you. <laughs> well, if people are looking for Conrad Stodgel, where will they find him? I will be on Instagram and it's my first and last name is my handle. I don't have anything fancy, nothing, nothing crazy. No, <laughs> no, uh, no exciting, uh, internet aliases. That's um, awesome. You probably find me through oh. Drew. It'd be the easiest way. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put your Instagram in uh, in the podcast description, so people want to check you out. They can follow you there. Um, I keep me posted about if you're gonna do like um, heavy enduro training down in Tennessee mm-hmm. or what you want to do because I want to promote that. Um, we'll promote that through the podcast and some other stuff too. Because I, like I said, I, I feel like training on the East Coast is hard to find. Um, so if you're going to make that public, absolutely. Let's do that. Cause I'm sure there's lots of people down there that are interested. Oh, absolutely. I know lots yeah. of adventure riders from that part of the country. Yep. So absolutely that, um, you have had some incredible sentiment for a lot of adventure enthusiasts. What else, if anything, do you want to leave the listeners with? Honestly, it's just, it's just show up. I mean, show up and, and, and bring your bike. I mean, honestly, that's, that's about it because even like round two, when Kevin showed up, the community of adventure bike riders, we poured over that bike and made sure it was as ready as possible, you know, and we made sure the rider, we made sure Kevin was pumped up and ready to go. And any questions that he had, we answered them to the best of the ability. So like when it comes to like the adventure bike riding, whether it's the, the KXCR stuff, or if it's just trying to learn how to do it, there's people out there. You just got to reach out and talk to them and, and, and bring your game. Like it's just, that's it. <laughs> that's really, it. that's really the, the gist of it is you have to start somewhere. So why not start as soon as possible? That's, that's perfect. Yeah. Cause that's exactly it. We, we want to welcome more people in the fold. I love it. All right. And with that, we will catch the listeners down the road.